Welcome to the <laughs> Welcome to the Film Theorists. This is actually episode one now, officially. So I'm Chloe. And I'm Steve. Yeah. And that we did it. There you go. Hey, we did a real <laughs> short intro and it was good. Alright. So yeah, Chloe, you talked last time about your new dog. So uh Phil. Well us it's in actually on that. not our new dog. So the good news oh, okay. is that we did find the original owner after like three days oh, wow. of having this dog. Well, that's why we never named him or anything. Okay. His name was Coco, by the way, which he did oh, not his... look like a Coco. <laughs> his name was already Coco. What what would you yeah. have na- named him if you had kept him? I don't know. I don't we had I don't really know. My mom had some ideas, but they were all stupid. Okay. So <laughs> she wanted to, I don't know, but like the dog was, um, which he's a liar because I, I went through like a list of a hundred dog names and I said Coco and he did not respond. So something about this dog just doesn't really seem to know any words, but we did find the original owner and she was really happy that we picked him up because he was so little and he was just lost in the woods. Like he was a six pound dog, like he would right. be eaten by coyotes. Oh wow. So, so where was the house? Where was, where did he actually live? Like how far away was the house to, to your house? Um, I'm not sure my mom went. I was at school okay. at that time. So gotcha. All right. When they went, cool. But. Well, you know, I have a dog too. So let me just, I just isn't I'm, it Olivia's dog? I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to one up you or anything. Because you have other pet. You have other pets though, right? Well, I have my own dog. She's a Great Pyrenees Lab mix. She's huge. Okay. Yeah. How, so <laughs> how many pounds is that dog? She's like fifty pounds. Oh wow. Okay. Well, I guess <laughs> yeah. I guess I am one upping you because our our dog Max, who's like he's part I guess pit bull, blue pit, and part. Yeah. Some other kind of, he's 65 pounds, so. <laughs> and that, that's, well. that's a whole funny story on, on finding the dog. But I don't want to West, I don't want to talk about Max too much, except that he does, his left paw was hurting him. And, and we've had him for about a year and a half now. So mm-hmm. pretty much when he was born. So, he, well, no, about, yeah, he's about two years old now, I guess. And but all of a sudden he was like limping on his left, left paw. It was weird. And I, we looked at the paw. There was no thorn or anything in there. So I actually took him to the vet. Which we hadn't ever really done, taking our dog to the vet for some kind of a ailment, you know, and mm-hmm. and the vet the vet was hilarious because the vet it was like he was just came off the street or something. The vet was like cussing up a storm. <laughs> he was cussing up a storm. He used the f word. And by the way, this is a PG <laughs> podcast. Neither of us really cuss and stuff like that. In case anyone wants, to know. <laughs> it's not really my style. But uh, he was just <laughs> cussing up a storm and stuff. And he wasn't angry. This vet, this is just how he talked. And, and it's I, like a sailor. Yeah, I'm thinking in my head, is this guy like licensed? Does he actually have a, cause you're essentially an MD. You're a medical doctor when you have a veterinary, uh, degree, right? So, but he just, yeah. he prescribed a couple pills to him. And so we're, we're giving him the pills now. And, but he was licking his paw like really bad. So, uh, yeah, that's not good to soothe himself, but we didn't do one of those cones. You know, you put the cone on the dog and then they can't. He said, you don't really have to do that. Just give him these pills for a few days and then he'll be fine. And he seems to be better now. So his name is Max. So, and what's the name yeah. of your, your dog? Um, her name is Frankie. We like Frankie. rescued her from like this kind of, I don't like want to be mean, but a crackhead in the woods. And, okay, crackhead. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and like, um, you mean that in the kindest way though, a crackhead. I mean, like, I'm sure he's a <laughs> cool guy, maybe, but yeah. she has like a lot of trauma because she was basically a wild, like, pack dog in the forest uh-huh. yeah um so when we first got her she had like a lot of like she was so scared of us and she still like doesn't she doesn't like new people or men really but she loves oh, me so. okay wow um and she's doing a lot better we got her like in the beginning of the pandemic so she's had a lot of good quality time like to get used to so just get used to like people so she's gotten a lot better where like we take her on walks in town and she does really well, well what was her um, what was her name again um frankie frankie okay 
So you yeah. only had her I for a year. Her, yeah. Yeah. Okay. She she's she'll be two in November, I guess. But I I named her after. Did you ever see the Netflix show Grace and Frankie? I think I've I've heard of it, but haven't seen it. Well, Lily Tomlin plays oh. um Frankie, and I love her, but I didn't want to name the dog Lily. So I Lily Tomlin is hilarious. She's she's got. I love her. She's got to be yeah. in her seventies now, at least, right? She is. She's seventy four, I think. She's hilarious. Oh man, I, I, she used to be on a uh, bunch of shows way back when. I think uh, there was an old. I mean, you know, in the seventies, she was on. Uh, um, she was a stand-up comedian. She was one of the first mm-hmm. sort of real prominent female stand-up comedians. Yeah. I know, adore so, her. And, yeah, she's really but talented. the name Lily just didn't match the dog. So yeah. Frankie is my favorite character she's played. Okay. Cause you should, if you, you should watch Grace and Frankie, it's um, Jane okay. Fonda and Lily Tomlin. It's pretty Wow. Good. Okay. Two, yeah. Two basically stalwarts, uh, you know, uh, uh, famous female strong actresses who played strong, one of the first ones to play sort of strong characters, although Lily Tomlin was more comedian. Jane Fonda. Yeah. She's done a bunch of like movies. She, the Fondas are a big family in, in film. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Jane Fonda's father is Henry Fonda, who is in a ton of movies. Her, her brother, Peter Fonda, was in a ton of movies. I think they're, wow. they both passed away. Uh, I'm not sure about Peter, but I'm pretty sure Henry has because anyways, that's cool. So that, the name of that show is? Uh, Grace and Frankie. Grace and, is it on Netflix? Yeah, it's a Netflix original. I really like it. Wow. It's I'll really to, good. I'll have to check it out. That's cool. That um, you, you can watch two sort of older actresses do their thing, and you're only 18, so you know that's that's. I mean, that's cool. I've I love Lily Tomlin. I've looked at her old like photo shoots and stuff. She she back in like the 70s was one of the first women to like she had photo shoots where she had like armpit hair, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, she's very she's very. Uh, I mean, you know, early feminist. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, that's cool. Yeah, she's hilarious. She used to do this routine where she was an operator. Did you ever see any of those telephone operator routines mm-hmm. with Lily Tomlin? That's like one of her most famous routines. Like, you know, she'd like be chewing gum and, you know, and like, uh. That's awful. They take it some, <laughs> I don't know what the deal was, but she it's like a telephone operator, like a sort of, it's kind of rude, but not really. Anyways, it's funny. Um, so this is the Godzilla versus Kong episode. Wait, before we get into it, I want yeah, I yeah, need to yeah, tell you I statistics. Just, yeah, okay. Yeah, so share. So because this is really interesting. Done, I can even cut this out, but I just need to tell you these because they're really interesting. We've done one episode so far, and it's only been out there for uh, four, uh, well, since Monday, I guess, so six days, five days. Yeah. We had 83 people listen. Wow. That's a lot more than my three I projected. Now, well, but did you listen to it a few times yourself? No. I didn't. I listened to it while I was editing it, and okay. I got sick of it, and I uploaded it. Some of those might be me, because I actually listened to it. <laughs> I listened to it about two or three times myself. Why would you do that? Well, because it's our first episode. I wanted to hear, you know, like audio quality. I wanted to hear how many times you know, we we did um and stuttered and stuff like that. And, and you know, I cut out some of that, though, because like, sometimes I the so. audio... Yeah, sometimes the audio will, like, overlap because of internet delays, and I cut out okay. the, uh, I cut out the, like the weirdness. Well, then you did an awesome job editing because I didn't even notice. There was a couple times where I thought, I wonder if we said something else, but you, you did great because I couldn't really tell. So, so at least three or four of those listens might, might've been me. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I, I didn't just do it 80 times though. <laughs> so, yeah. But we cool. have, so I can see even like 98% of our listeners are in the United States, okay. but we have one listener in Germany. <laughs> oh, awesome. Cool. <laughs> So say, shout out to the yeah, one yeah. listener in Germany. Yeah, we need to say, uh, 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 oh shoot, I can't th- remember my German now. Uh, you uh, speak German? 
No, I just remember a couple words. Well, Sprechen Sie Deutsch, that means do you speak German. So, but oh, that would wow. <laughs> be pointless to say Sprechen Sie Deutsch to our German listener because the answer would be ja. Because <laughs> he, he speaks German. But uh, Deutschland, you know, they, they call Germany Deutschland. Deutschland. Yeah, and <laughs> our podcast is on five platforms. So it's on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio okay. Public, and Spotify. I'm trying to get it on Apple Podcasts, but that's like harder to do. And I, I, I told you before, I use Podcast Addict. No one uses it besides me, but it's fine. I just <laughs> I'll try straight, to look into it. I straight from Spotify. Spotify is great. I just listen to it. You, you don't even need the app. You can just click on a link, you know, and it goes right to it. So, um, you know, yeah, I can record an ad. I'm gonna put ads on it. Oh yes, <laughs> I actually have heard a couple people. Uh, two different people must use Anchor because they did this. You're talking about an Anchor ad. Yeah, I can do an anchor ad. <laughs> yeah. So, but what does that give you? Is it like uh, you get uh, something for free or something, or you get if for every thousand listens you get like some money? <laughs> I see. So that's why a couple of these people are doing. It. I knew there was some incentive there because it was funny. It was the same word, so they they probably tell you you must use. I have this a script. They gave me a script. script. Yeah, you must use this script because. But it, the two different people that did it, they they read the script totally differently. Same words, but you could tell one was much better than the other. So, anyways. Um, but before we go into uh, King Kong and Godzilla. Oh, yeah. This you, is the King Kong and Godzilla episode. <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. Godzilla versus Kong. Which reminds me, yeah. I went back and I watched a little bit of the King Kong from the 30s just to see. Oh, and it, the 19. <laughs> it was so, yeah. The like 1933, the original King mm-hmm. Kong. Yeah. So, it, the claymation was just like, I'm sure it was really, really good in its time. But watching yeah. that was just so awful. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we talked about that before. But I, I wanted to ask you about The Ring real fast, because you watched The Ring. Oh. And I actually watched The Ring again after you said you were going to watch it, so we could just discuss that a little bit, because I had a couple things to say. Yeah, I mean, this week I watched The Ring, and I watched My Dinner with Andre, by the way. Oh, yes. Um, that's yesterday. Fun. That's hilarious. But The Ring was really good. I, um, well, because I've never seen it. Yeah. And I really liked it, because... Well, there were some unanswered questions for me. Right, right. So what I didn't really like, my least favorite part was I felt kind of confused about the timeline because mm-hmm. they made it like the um, the Anna Morgan, the like the mother of the girl. I guess her name was Anna Morgan, right? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. 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 She wore like what I felt to be like Victorian clothes, even though it was just like the 80s. And that kind of okay. really confused me because I was like... What is the timeline on this? Because oh yeah, yeah. It's a VHS. It's a VHS tape, but they were wearing like Victorian dresses, or at least Anna's character was, and I was like thrown off by that. But then eventually, it, I, I yeah, I think it was it was earlier in the 20th century. But that family must have just been into older style clothes. It, I don't think it was. It didn't match what the clothes were. Yeah, I could see that. And I felt that's because in my head, things that are like old and haunted or like, oh, it's something from the olden times that's like cursed today. Right. But it actually was just like 20 years ago. And I was just like, I felt confused about the timeline on that. But other than that, um, it was really good. Probably one of the better horror movies I've ever seen because yeah. it was, I mean, I don't really get scared. The only horror movie I've ever gotten scared on was Jaws. And that, I can oh, explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not as, like, I understand it's not a scary movie, but I'm terrified of the ocean and everything inside oh, of yeah. it, so. Oh, Jaws is an all-time but... classic. That's Spielberg's, it wasn't his first movie, <laughs> yeah. but it was his first major. He became sort of, oh, this guy can make really good movies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know who, who directed The Ring was a guy named, now, he, 
his first name was Gore, G-O-R-E. So, so he's got to be a That's horror fun. director. Gore, <laughs> yeah. Gore Verbinski and Gore Verbinski, his, I looked up his filmography because I wasn't familiar with that name. Guess what his next movie was that he directed after The Ring? Well, you'll never guess, but uh, it was one of the, the movies. The Ring 2? Nope, nope. He didn't, he didn't direct. <laughs> he, I, I, I think he did direct uh, one of the other Ring sequels. But his next movie was uh, The Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. So he totally changed genres. <laughs> he, he's he's not a horror director. He's one of these. And there's a few of these directors that just basically. Yeah, they want to direct a drama. They want to direct a thriller. They, they, he's actually directed a couple comedies, you know, and then he directed The Ring. And the ring, and I think maybe one of the sequels, which was the pretty much the only horror movies that Gore Verbinski did. But but the ring is incredible. Like I just watched it and again this week because you mentioned it. There's yeah. so, there's so much in that movie. That opening sequence is just incredible. I think you know, I the, know some of the soft focus where like reaching for the door handle, uh, which he's going to open it, and and the soft focus, and then just some of the, uh, the what do you call that? The uh, yeah, the the short and long focus and stuff like that. Just the way it was shot and the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even the trickery at the beginning where she, the two girls are sitting there talking and, and the girl with the long black hair is telling her, trying to scare her and saying, yeah, you watch this videotape. And then right after you, it's a weird thing. And then after you watch the videotape, you get this phone call that says you're going to die in seven days. And then the other girl says, I watched that. And so you're thinking, you're thinking that that was real, but then she pretends to choke. I'm just giving away the intro. She pretends to yeah. choke, and the girl's believing that she's dying now because it was seven days ago. And then she snaps out of it and says, gotcha. But she really did watch the videotape and really did get the phone call again. I mean, that switcheroo was so, uh, you know, uh, do you see the movie Scream? Scream? Um, I saw the first one. Scream kind of has a little of that. And that's uh, that director, though, is, uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Wes Craven, who did Nightmare on Elm Street and... Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. I still need to watch that. Yeah. Well, Wes Craven is incredible. I mean, you know, Scream was almost spoofy. Like he was spoofing himself, you know, spoofing horror movies. Whereas The Ring was taking horror movie conventions and kind of flipping them on their, on their top a little bit. And I didn't want to talk too much about that movie, but that's, but what I wanted to say about it was PG 13 versus R rated horror movies. So. What's The, the Ring rated? PG 13. But it's incredible. So, so my comment on PG thirteen versus R. This is what I've said to many people that, uh, again, I'm older than you. I always say that. I, I'll stop saying that because we, everyone knows now. But um, <laughs> in, in the seventies in and the eighties, pretty much this was true. All horror movies were rated R, and all comedies were rated PG. There wasn't even a PG thirteen until nineteen eighty four, until um, the year nineteen eighty four, and then they decided to do PG PG thirteen, but. So basically all horror movies were R, all comedies were PG. Around the 90s, that totally reversed for the most part. Uh, many, many of the horror movies were PG-13. And then comedies became R. And my comment, oh, yeah. To, yeah, my comment to that is that, that's, that, made, that made the comedies not as funny, in my opinion. That made the, com- the comedies of the 70s and 80s were funnier than the comedies in the last 20 years overall, this is what I think. And the horror movies for the most part were scarier and better in the seventies and eighties than they are now. And part of the reason is when you, when you put a horror movie at PG 13, generally there's an intensity level that sort of drops, you know, they have to, the imagery has to be a little less severe and, 
And it's not all about imagery that makes a horror movie scary, but the ring proves that. So the ring was rated PG-13. There's only a couple images that are somewhat severe, but not anything over the top. There's not a lot of blood. You know, there's... There's that image in the beginning when the girl basically dies, and you know they they. But you don't it. really see it. You don't see it though at all. It, well, it's it's shown for like a second, and she's like cowering in the closet. Her face is all distorted. Remember that? Yeah, just like just a flash of it though. Yeah. So so uh, you know, and and you know, it wasn't until the fifties or well, I guess the nineteen sixties that there was even a rating system. So because there what there didn't really need to be. You know, most movies were essentially PG up to that point, but there was no rating system until the 60s when all of a sudden in the 60s there was this revolution of film and directors wanted to start showing stuff and they had to create this MPAA board, Motion Picture Association of America board that rated movies, you know, and that whole, that whole deal was ended up being ridiculous. There's Netflix documentaries on MPAA and they're, they have on the board like these old ladies and stuff that have no clue about movies. Anyways. Uh, the rating system is ridiculous. But the idea that, to me, comedies have gotten worse and horror movies have gotten worse overall in the the last 20 years. Now, that's all bad. Yeah, yeah. But it's starting (laughs) to flip around a little bit. Ari Aster, uh, there's another director Uh, who did... did, um, uh, Did you see The Witch? Did we talk about The Witch? Yeah, I did see The Witch. Well, I I watched Queen's Gambit and then fell in love with Anya Taylor-Joy's work and I watched everything she'd been in, so... But I did watch the. Witch. What was your What was your honest opinion of the witch? Weird. <laughs> did you like it or not really? It wasn't bad, and it wasn't okay. like good. It was just like okay. right there where it's okay. like, okay, that yeah. happened. Yeah, it's it's the classic. What they, and they refer to Hereditary this way too. Uh, you know, you ever notice on Netflix they now have when you when you want to watch something on Netflix and it just shows it on the on the screen an ad and it has three words. That's the, they use these three adjectives to describe every mm-hmm. movie now and. Yeah. The witch is a classic slow burn. Slow burn. It really is. Yeah. So it means it's slower. It's not like action-packed pacing is off. I'm just being funny, making reference to pacing. (laughs) I don't want to say that. But to me, the witch was incredible because that director, I can't remember his name now. I just lost it. Um, Oh, Robert Eggers. Mm E-G-G-E-R-S. The witch was his debut, and it got mostly good reviews. Yeah. He's all about... really good for a debut. Yes, yes. And he's very, he's, his, his whole thing is time periods. He loves period pieces. The Witch is like 1500s, which how many movies yeah. have you seen that takes place in the 1500s? That's maybe, like Puritan. Maybe, maybe it was 1600s, but it was somewhere about 400 years ago. And then yeah, his, it's like they were, they were Puritans, weren't they? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. They were basically disbanded from the other Puritans in the beginning of the movie, but they don't really explain what their sin was, like why they were kicked out. Did you notice that? They never really explained it. They just basically said, you're gone. And then this family has to go off on their own. I mean, maybe there's some subtle references in that beginning because there was sort of a courtroom scene in the beginning. That beginning of the witch was a court. And now we're getting, we're getting too much into it. We need to go. We're gonna, what even yeah. happened? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. We're supposed to be talking about Godzilla Robert, right now. Robert Eggers. And he also did The Lighthouse, which, did you see The Lighthouse? I still need to watch that. Yeah, you told me to watch it and I never did. It was yes, like months ago. It's that, I didn't like it as much as The Witch, but some people liked it more than The Witch. But it's almost had, it had fantasy elements. So, um, Godzilla versus Kong, but I did want to talk about a couple other things. I'm sorry. <laughs> So we had a 72-minute episode as our debut, and we're called the film theorists, and we never defined what film theory is. 
So I wanted to sort of define that. Uh, yeah, go for it. In a traditional sense. So, so there's this, the discipline of film studies. It's called film studies, right? And they still use this terminology and probably in textbooks today. They but, do. But let me say this, first of all. Um, I feel like in the last 20 years, we've gotten dumber and lazier. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 100%. And, and here's an example of it because Wikipedia, which, you know, people can say, oh, Wikipedia, you can't trust Wikipedia. But you know what? When I use Wikipedia and look things up that I know about, that I feel like I'm an authority on, and then I read Wikipedia, it's pretty much 95 to 100% accurate. That's just my opinion. Wow. What do you feel about Wikipedia in general? Um, I honestly have never used it for a source because okay. I'm not allowed to cite them in my college papers. Gotcha. But you don't look. You don't go to Wikipedia just to look up stuff. I do all the time. I guess I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, I guess, yeah. yeah. But most time when I'm doing research for something, I just, I have to use like credible sources according to the school. Yeah, that makes sense. So the phrase film theory has been used like with all these Instagram accounts, all these YouTube accounts. Film theory is where I'll just define film theory. So I'll just go right to film theory. Well, okay, here, film studies, okay, here, like, let, me, let me back up. Film oh, you're study, getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> yeah, film studies has sort of three things in it, right? There's film criticism, then there's film analysis, and then there's film theory. And those are distinct things. Let me define them in order. So film criticism, and actually lower level than that, lower level than film criticism is something what I would call a movie review. You know, yeah. a movie review, which would be like, you know, and that's all over the internet, YouTube, a movie would be like, yeah, I saw, Giz okay, let me just give my movie review of Godzilla vs. Kong. I saw Godzilla vs. Kong. Oh, it was great. The monsters fought each other, and the special effects were awesome. The acting was great. And love love the story. Yeah, there were some problems with the story, but that's my movie review of Godzilla vs. Kong. That's it. That's it. That's all yeah. they say. You know, and I, listen, I've listened to an hour-long <laughs> podcast talking about a film, and that's basically all they say for an hour. It drives me nuts, but you know, I guess I'm different than most people. Like, like I told you first episode, I angered my friend because I wanted to talk about the museum scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I just, you know, I just I noticed some of these kind of things. Anyways, movie review, I, I use the word movie, you know, is sort of a lower level. It's not even in the film studies. Film criticism is okay. So film criticism is this: it's talking about a movie and it's talking about how you feel about the movie. What you like about it, what you don't like, and actually giving evidence from the film, not just saying, you know, talking about a scene or two. I mean, it can be it can be very long or very short, but you know, more detail than just that was awesome. You know what I mean? Which yeah, I do say that too. Like if someone just says, "What do you think about this movie?" and they just want a five second response, I'm gonna, of course, I'm gonna tell them that movie was great because that's all I have time. <laughs> that's all they have time for is five yeah. seconds. You know, so the film criticism is. You know, sort of giving your thoughts, your feelings about the movie, and 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 also saying maybe w whether the what the director intended, they were successful at it. You know, and you could talk about screenplay and and uh, you know acting and and story, but you can also talk about even some film angles and stuff like that, or camera angles and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. But but once you start getting into camera angles and you know the fact that they're shooting up on someone and giving them sort of a uh, making them sort of more of a scary uh, character, giving a feeling of being scared versus shooting down and, and, and that kind of thing, those kind of angles, mm -hmm. that gets into film analysis. So so a good film criticism can also have film analysis. But film analysis is basically breaking the film down, you know, and talking about the various psychological things, like like what, 
you know, sort of we talked about with expressionism and realism, you know, in the last yeah. episode, the idea of of the director's choices, you know, and what that does psychologically. That's film analysis. Now, film criticism can have some of that. But film theory is a totally different thing, although it will have some film analysis in it. But film theory is not. OK, so this is what film theory is not. So. So when Chloe and I first try to come up with a name for this podcast, you know, I, I had suggested the film theorists and we kind of both liked it. You know, like I said, it sounds like we're, you know, scientists or whatever film theorists. Cause I, although yeah, we, we might ahead. at some point have to change it though. Right. Cause I don't know about copyright with that one YouTube. That's what I was getting I to. Was I was, I was informed. Thinking. Yeah. So all I, all I, Chloe was smarter than me because she actually searched YouTube for that. I did it. I just, I searched podcast names for the film theorist. And as far as we can tell, there were none. So I said, let's just go with that. Then Chloe, the smart one, went to YouTube, which is probably used even more maybe than Spotify at this point. I don't know. Probably is. Uh, she typed in the film theorist and instantly a, a guy, the film theorist YouTube channel came up, which would have been okay, except the guy has millions of followers. He has millions of followers, but and he's it, okay. It's very good. It sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm criticizing him. We only have five followers, and, and he's got a million. So I'm just being jealous. That's not really what it is, but maybe a little. I'm bit. sure he's great. I've yeah. never watched it though. Well, I didn't you, know about that channel until. Oh, yeah, I thought I thought you you then watched a few of the videos. You didn't watch any. No, videos. you did. Yeah, <laughs> I did. And actually, his videos are great. But you know, and this is how he ends every single. Uh, some of his videos are about twenty twenty five minutes long, so he really kind of goes into a single film. But none of, none of what he talks about is film. There's a little bit of film criticism. There's a tiny bit of film analysis. There's no film theory because what film theory is not is what he does, which he goes, he goes, I got a theory about Titanic. Like this Titanic one is really interesting. He says the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio character, what I forget his name. Did you see Titanic, the movie Titanic? Um, I really am ashamed to say that I haven't seen that's it. But fine, I, that's fine. That's fine. I, I, I know really it's one good. of those like I need to. I'm I'm yeah. gonna watch it. I swear. It's, good. it's real good. <laughs> but but what's hilarious is he the the this guy the film theorist. It's really just one guy, but for some reason his site is called the Film Theorists with an S at the end, yeah. just like just like ours. But I think it's just one guy. Well, I think it's him and his editor because he oh. has the voices and stuff, and I think he has an editor that does everything. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So he 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 always ends. Okay, so. The Titanic one is really good. Y'all should watch it just because it's fun, but it's not film theory. <laughs> but he says, I have a theory about Titanic. This is what he says. The Leonardo DiCaprio character is a time traveler. <laughs> he says <laughs> it's really sort of a science fiction film. And he does give evidence from the film to back that up. I don't remember all the things he talks about, but, but Leonardo DiCaprio's character is very, what would be referred to as anachronistic in the film. The, the, the story of the Titanic takes place in, what, 1919, like early 20th century. But yet mm -hmm. kind of the way Leonardo DiCaprio acts, it's almost like he's contemporary, you know, just the way mm -hmm. he, which I know you haven't seen the film. But, and at the end of every episode, this guy says, but that's just a theory, a film theory. <laughs> he, <laughs> says, he says film theory at the end of it. But that's not film theory. So when you have an idea or a theory about maybe the theme or the story or a character in a movie, that's not film theory. It's not. Well, isn't it just like a, isn't yeah. it, wouldn't that just be like a theory about the film rather than just Correct. like film theory? Yes. Yeah. In fact, I'm telling the audience now this, uh, uh, 
If you want to know what film theory is, just go to wikipedia.org, <laughs> type in film theory, and read it. It's pretty much spot on. So what film theory is, I'm going to summarize. Film theory is basically a sort of a, a set of ideas about art, and, and in this case, film. And you take those ideas and you apply them to multiple films. You know, you can apply them to one film. Feminist theory is one. Feminist theory and, and you know, then there's, uh, so auteur theory, A-U-T-E-U-R is one. And that's about that the director is the author, which I wanted to get into that a little bit. But um, uh, there's there's several. There's a feminist, there's Schreiber theory, which is, Schreiber is a, is a Hebrew word for writer, writer theory. So it's kind of an answer to auteur theory. Auteur theory says the director is the author. The director is the author of the film. I guess a writer must have come up with, uh, writer theory. He's like, no, the director's not the author of the film. The writer is. The director is just taking the screenplay and making a film out of it. You know, I'm just summarizing. There's apparatus theory, which I, I can't even necessarily explain. I'd have to study that. Cognitive theory, which obviously has to do with the mind. Uh, genre theory, like specific theories within genres, like final girl, right? Final mm -hmm. girl theory, meaning you've got an idea of what a final girl is and what it, and then you show all these films and you talk about uh, multiple films. Um, psychoanalytic theory, which has male gaze as part of it. <laughs> I know you love, you love male gaze. I'm just being funny. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's a theory. There's even queer, queer theory, which is a gay subtext. And it, that's actually an amazing mm -hmm. theory too. That was never talked about 20 years ago, you know, but, but now, uh, uh, and I'm very open minded about that kind of stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. there's many films now. If you watch the Maltese Falcon and talk about, uh, talk, uh, ascribe queer theory to it, that it seems like some of these men are actually homosexual. That's not mentioned in the film at all, but it's pretty amazing kind of theory. Anyways, we, go ahead. There, there are like, there are a lot of movies that are like queer coded or like they yes. queer bait. They, they kind of want the queer audience to watch, but yeah. they then don't actually give any, um, they don't actually give any proof that there is, there are any like homosexual characters in it. And it's kind of, that is kind of annoying oh. to me because it's like, Oh, it's but, queer baiting, but okay. Queer baiting because queer theory is literally giving evidence. Oh, I, listen, I just watched Maltese Falcon, uh, this week. Uh, Maltese Falcon is a movie with Humphrey Bogart. It's John Houston who's the director. It's 1941. So it's, it's old movie, but the, there's a sort of a bad mm -hmm. character. This really large guy played by Sidney Greenstreet and his character's name is Gutman. And just the way he acts, it's not, like feminine, but he just, some of the things he does, he pats a, a, a guy on the butt and stuff like that. And he's always surrounded by these, mm -hmm. these younger men and stuff. And that's just part of it. But it's, 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 I, when I was watching that movie, I'm like, oh man, you can apply a gay subtext to this movie. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I just thought that watching, it's a great movie, um, the Maltese Falcon and the Maltese Falcon itself is this like golden statue and and the statue using queer theory the statue can represent peen, a penis i mean i know it's that's a little <laughs> that's a little crude but that's kind of what it's about like there's metaphors like uh, you know any of these theories is, uh, is sort of ascribing metaphors to things based on what the the tenets of the theory anyway that's yeah what, well that's that's different than queer baiting which i don't like because yes. that's like a queer baiting would be if you ever watched the show riverdale which you absolutely shouldn't it's the worst show in the world Okay, I've um, heard of it. Isn't it like Jughead and, and it's like the old It's Ar Jughead and Archie, Archie, Archie and, then, and it's like, it's absolutely, Modernized, modernized, yeah. It's the worst show I've ever seen. <laughs> but like <laughs> in the funny. first episode, the two girls, Betty and Veronica, I guess they kiss or whatever, but yeah. they're straight for the entire rest of the show. And like okay. that, yeah. they did that in the first episode to try and get a queer audience. Yeah. And then right. they threw in a gay character later named Kevin, who is yeah. the only, he's the only like 
his only personality trait is being gay. And like, that is so irritating because it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Well, we, now we get into diversity and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like for example, let's say a, a film director wants to make a, a, an Italian crime mob film. And yet they get pressure to say, well, we need to put in a black, uh, you know, a, we need to put in a black gay character in that. It's like, does that, that's fine. I understand diversity. I think it's a good thing in, in a lot of ways, but it also interferes with good art. Like if you're trying to make an Italian mob movie, you don't necessarily want, you know, a, 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 a black homosexual male character. I mean, unless you're, that's what the story is. You know what I mean? You agree yeah, with that? I think I, I agree with like, we need diversity in pretty much all art. Like it's necessary. Yeah. However, if yeah. you're going to do it, do it right. Don't just throw right. in a black gay character and his yeah. only yep. personality trait is that like, that's I bad agree. writing. Do right. better. Like Agreed. we need to be better with it. Agreed. I've, I've listened to podcasts where they go, Oh, it's so nice that they made this movie and they put a, a, a Chinese person in and a, and a, you know, a Japanese, a, a black male character, a, a, you know, a, a, a I don't know, a, a Mexican lesbian, <laughs> you know, but it's like, but they only have them in there for the sake of them being there. And it's right, like, right. we it's, need to have them give them depth. Like they need more. We need more representation yeah. with that. That's yeah. better. Yeah. It's almost like the story becomes about diversity rather than being an actual good story. You know, my favorite <laughs> movies, like I love the ones that are just like, like a character is gay, but just like, it's not even like mentioned. It just like is, and it's okay because like yeah. there, there are movies. I love the movies where a character is gay and it's never said, and it just like yeah. is part of him without it being the plot. Like that's, that's right. amazing. Yeah. Just make it real life, you know, and just make it real life rather than sort of overemphasizing it. Yeah. I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to skip some of these scenes. Cause we, we, yeah. Cause we're, but uh, I'll have to edit. I'll edit. Yeah. Out. That's fine. So <laughs> film theory. So now I think I explained what film theory is, you know, and, and, yeah. and you know, a lot of these film theories. So, you know, you're really familiar with some of the terms. But let me just say this, talking about movies, and this goes for you, Chloe, as well as any of our film audience. If you if you want to be able to talk well about movies, I would suggest reading good film criticism, reading good mm -hmm. film criticism. You know, and I know that sounds boring, but let me tell you one of the hobbies that I had when I went to the University of Florida. Of course, I took some film classes. I was so into movies and I wasn't even doing it to better myself. I was simply a complete film nerd. So on my, when I had time, like say I had a class at, uh, well, I tried to actually schedule my classes as early as possible. I always woke up early. I've always been that way. I'm fine waking up early. And, uh, I tried to finish my classes by noon. Wow. And then I'd have from noon all the way to the, cause I didn't have to study for 10 hours. I had to study for maybe two or three hours. Mm -hmm. So from noon until whatever I went to bed, I could do whatever I wanted at the University of Florida. And, you know, and I, I got pretty good grades. I ended up majoring in English you know, got a degree, a Bachelor of Arts in English, because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I ended up being a technical writer. And I've been mm -hmm. that, I've been that for almost oh, 35 years. <laughs> so it's worked out. But I used to go, Chloe, at University of Florida, I used to go to the library. And I always, I always like the phrase in the old days, hope people aren't getting tired <laughs> of me saying that, but it's, it's fun. It's just it's <laughs> to say in the old days. Um, the, the the library was your source, right? There was no internet. There was no, you know, if you didn't have a set of encyclopedias, you didn't have Wikipedia. The, if you didn't have a set of encyclopedias, you really couldn't look anything up. You know, you you could actually call the library and ask for assistance. Like you, they, they, there was in the old days, way old days, you used to call libraries and, and have them look up stuff for you on the phone. But anyways, I was, or go, go to the library. I would go to the library and I actually looked up film reviews of my favorite movies. I, I wouldn't read reviews of movies that I hadn't seen, although I, I did that a little bit, but 
I used to just love to go to the, the library and they used to bound, bind all of the magazines of a certain, like a, a six month period or a year period. They'd put them in these hardback and then, and then they'd store them at the library. But you couldn't, you wouldn't want to just get one off the shelf and just try to find whatever you're looking for. They also had bound, um, it was called the guide to periodic literature. All libraries mm-hmm. had this. And so in, in alphabetic order, you could look up like mo- film criticism or movies and then and then you could look up uh, a particular movie and then it would say in this magazine on this date they reviewed this film on this magazine on this date you they review so i'd write those things down and then i'd go to where all the bound magazines were find that find that issue and read the review i did that for hours and and I discovered some of these film critics that were just incredible. So I, I'm telling you right now, you probably do not know the name. I'm guessing. Do you know the name Pauline Kale? K A E L. Pauline Kale. Mm. Do you know that name at all? It's fine if you no, don't. No, I don't. <laughs> she is the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest film critic who has ever lived. She died in in 2000, uh, but she she was one of the few, especially at that time, one of the very few female film critics and she basically blew away most of the male film critics and just her style mm-hmm. what she said uh you know she was just incredible how she articulated it was all about her, her emotions and her feelings about a movie but she was very technical in her writing too she used to write fairly long reviews new yorker still i think to this day is, is a magazine it's still a magazine some of these magazines have gone online though but but pauline kale I was given a book by my aunt, uh, my youngest aunt, in like eighth grade, because she knew I was starting to get interested in movies. And, and she gave me a Pauline Kael book, which was a collection of her reviews from like uh, like 1967 when she started, I guess, to somewhere in 77, like a 10-year period. And I used to look at that book, and I didn't understand it. Like I, in eighth grade, I didn't understand it. And I, and I kept that book. And then I, I started to read it more as I got through high school. And then into college, I read it. And then I, I realized I fell in love with Pauline Kael and her writing. So... That's one you want to look up, Pauline Kale. I can send you some links. But Pauline Kale. Pauline Kale. Yeah, she wrote for the New Yorker for like I guess around twenty five years. Sixty seven wow. to ninety one is what. Sixty seven to ninety one is what I wrote down. Um, man, I didn't even talk about auteur auteur theory, but I mentioned it. We'll, we'll skip that. So let's get into. You said some of it. Yeah. So, and this is probably what, where you want to do your break, but. Um, Let's start I guess talk- I'll do like a little little banjo tradition. <laughs> my sister. Godzilla versus Kong. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so the new movie. So uh, just in general, and I know I think I know the answer to this, but just tell our audience like what what exposure did you have to King Kong and Godzilla movies up until about a month ago? Zero. None. None. I- yeah. right. So go ahead. I, um, Steve said he wanted to do an episode on, before we even started the podcast, like at all, he said, we should, when we start one, we should do Godzilla. And I was like, okay, well, I've never seen any of the Godzilla or Kong movies or any of that. So the day that Godzilla vs. Kong released, I binged, like, I binge watched, um, Godzilla, Godzilla, like the 2014 one, uh, King Kong, Skull Island, and then Godzilla, King of Monsters. Yes which is my least favorite. And then the next day I watched um, Godzilla versus Kong yeah. and that was pretty fun. So now I feel like I have a pretty good yeah. understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Of- I had never, I had yeah. avoided them because I felt they were like, I thought they were like dumb kind of just boy action movies. Like yeah. there was nothing to really care about or be yeah. attached to that 
was a lie. Um, I yeah, actually love them, cool. and cool. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Now, th- those four films you mentioned, the fourth one which we're about to talk about, Godzilla vs. Kong, um, are are the four films of this modern Legendary Pictures is the big producer, Legendary Pictures, mm-hmm. and I think they use Warner Brothers money as well uh, to make yeah. the to make these four films. So, so, but I wrote it down. So, um, oh wait, where did I write it down? Uh, this is the, oh, over here. This is, so Godzilla vs. Kong, this is the 36th Godzilla film and, and the 12th King Kong film. So there's been 36 films, I think with Godzilla or Gojira. So in, J- in J- Japanese, Gojira is the word they use. G-O, G-O-J-I-R-A. Um, by the way, that's a good heavy metal band too, Gojira. But anyways, they're from France, which is funny. They're from France. But, um, <laughs> Gojira. But I guess, I think they're kind of Gojira films too. There's been 36 Godzilla films. That's incredible. And I, I probably have seen maybe six of them. Well, no, no, more than that. Cause I've seen the, the three Godzilla new ones, you know, well, Godzilla. I've seen all the ones you talked about. Mm-hmm. In addition to those, I probably have seen five other Godzilla films, but there's like another 30 or 27 films that I have not seen. So it's crazy. I watched 20 minutes of, um, the maybe it was like the 50s it was godzilla versus like mecha godzilla or something oh, it was did? like godzilla oh. where he's like it's a person in a suit yeah, yeah, dressed yeah. Up as godzilla Pretty bad. oh it was just the worst yeah well yeah so let's talk a little bit about godzilla and, and kong uh film history so uh you said you started to watch the 1933 king kong right starring yeah because i just wanted to know what was up Yes, and starting. It was a rough one. <laughs> yeah, and I understand that because I mean the special effects. Again, we we talked all about special effects last. And time. like, I want to appreciate it without that, but it's, yeah. it's hard when that's what I'm yeah, looking at. Right. And it just looks bad. I uh, I actually saw 1933's King Kong. I think in grade school because I, I guess whoever oh, wow. was whoever was responsible for walking us down the sidewalk to Oliver must have really been into because it was around that same time. Must have really. It's probably the same person. Must have been really into. Uh, movies and we need to show these kids some of these older movies you know so i remember seeing 1933's king kong in the 70s at school they did like a special someone must have collected those because before videotapes the only way you could own a movie was literally to have the reel of film oh wow and i don't know how you got those because you know i guess the same type of reels that are distributed to movie theaters you know now it's all digital of course but Old film can sometimes be dangerous because there there was a certain brand that has been known to combust in hot oh, yeah. temperatures. Yes. Oh yes. So like, if you have old film, just like keep it cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Tw- Quentin Tarantino describes that in detail in Inglorious Bastards. Did you ever see that movie, Inglorious Bastards? Um, no, it's on my list though. Oh yeah, you just see it. He t- he has a whole thing, a little mini history of that, how combustible the film is. Anyways, the actual oh, cool. uh, the actual material. But uh, I actually saw 1933's King Kong back then, and I remember liking it, but, you know, it was I was very young. But I just watched it for the second time, really, as an adult, or the first time as an adult recently, and that movie's amazing. I know it's 1933. Oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I, well, you didn't like it. That's okay. It's okay you didn't like it. But but I, I enjoyed it. Again, you know, I can, I can forgive. I can overlook the fact that it, there wasn't sort of realistic special effects, but I thought it was amazing how it was put together. I can't remember the name of the guy who did the special effects, but he, he made many movies after that. Do you and, know how long it took them to make that? Because the, I no. can admit like the, the, the claymation, even choppy, it like super amazing for its time. Like yeah. I, I felt like that 
would be incredibly difficult and it was yeah. highly well respected in its time. Do you, how long did it take that movie to, to be made though? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But, but did you notice, so you watched the whole thing of King Kong 33? I watched like 30 minutes. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know if you got as far as there are scenes where they basically have a huge projection screen mm-hmm. and the, the, so it's kind of like, it was kind of like the original green screen, but the, it wasn't a green screen. It was a projection screen, which if you watched old movies where people are driving in a car and then they, they, <laughs> There's literally a screen behind them. They're not really driving in the car. They're just pretending. It's totally filmed on a soundstage. Yeah. And and uh, they either show a side shot or they show a, a rear shot. And really what's the car is actually in front of a big screen where they've separately filmed in a car. So it looks like the car is moving, but it's really just a projection screen. Anyways, you, yeah, but is, you know they're not actually moving because people who yes. drive they just they move the steering wheel constantly. Like that's not how you drive. Like, <laughs> right. yeah, some of, it, <laughs> some of it is hokey. I I, I agree. But uh, King Kong, the original King Kong, he did. You, you know, you're calling it claymation. I think it's I don't know what I think it's referred to animatronics. So there's another word for it. It's because it's not literally clay. I don't. Well, think it's that's clay. just the term that I, I guess. Yeah. The, I guess it would be stop motion. Stop motion. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. Stop motion. It's very well done. Like, like the mm-hmm. the facial features on King Kong were actually pretty decent. I thought, you know, yeah, they give him emotion. Yeah, yeah, and and that movie is amazing. I mean, just the idea of the story. So let me just go over a little bit. So King Kong, pretty much through history, represents enslavement. You know, they basically take him as a slave. Essentially, you know, he was they a do. god. He was a god on his island. They worshipped him. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of spiritual stuff in King Kong and Godzilla. Both. The whole MonsterVerse thing is it's it's like it's a reference to the old um, Titans. They call them Titans. Titans yeah. is, is a Greek myth, mythological term for the, the original, Titans who ruled the Earth. Yes, for the original gods. And then Zeus Zeus and his team destroyed the Titans. Basically, that's the Greek Greek myth. So it's the idea mm-hmm. of gods coming and then being destroyed, and new gods taking over. And so they're drawing into that with with the the new MonsterVerse. Um, but but King Kong is enslavement, exploitation. You know, they uh, in the original King Kong, it, and and that movie's been remade more than once. The nineteen thirty three. There was a movie in nineteen seventy six called King Kong. A little different story, but similar. It was basically a blonde girl being taken by King Kong, <laughs> climbing up, climbing up a building. That famous climbing up the. I guess it was the Empire. I State did skip building. to the end because I watched like thirty minutes and I skipped to the end to see that scene of them shooting yeah. him down the tower. Oh yeah, because that's iconic. The, the planes. Yeah coming after him and him falling and dying. And the famous mm-hmm. final line, it was all, it was all uh, sort of a, uh, a reference to Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. was originally a French story, you know, that of course uh, Disney then took and, you know, made into movies. But um, I wish someone would make the original because like Disney stories are yeah. um, really violent. And I would love to right. see like the original Cinderella where like the birds peck her eyes out and stuff like that'd be so fun. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, Kong throughout history, enslavement, exploitation, a total American icon because they take him to America. In most of the King Kong movies, they essentially take him to America, right? And then, mm-hmm. uh, so it's sort of an American icon, you know. And then and, and in, in the original film, I mean, I know this kind of gets a little controversial, but uh, it, it was a bit racist, you know. Uh, you know, yeah. I think they were preying on people's fears. And I mean, it's totally in the, in the news now with George Floyd and all that, but you know, the idea that, that the white man is afraid of the black man and all that. I don't want to get too much into that, but, but back then it was a lot more severe. And so the idea of a story, in some ways, the King Kong represented the black man and, and taking this bl- blonde white girl captive, you know, that was scary to people back then. So they were drawing. That's fine. 
I know. No, I'm saying I'm talking about like sort of the mindset of of, of back then. You know that that, that well, the, we were enslaving. We were enslaving King Kong essentially because they knocked, they drugged him, and took him to America. You know, it's sad, but uh, that story of King Kong kind of reflects that a little bit. You know, uh, whereas Godzilla, let's jump over to Godzilla. Now, Godzilla came out. So the original King Kong movie was 1933. The original Godzilla movie, you know what year that came out? I think I think you kind of said it almost. Yeah, the 50s, because I watched the Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla thing. That one was later, though. I think you said the 50s for that one. That one not, might not have been till the 60s or 70s even. I don't know. Uh, I could be wrong about that. But the original Godzilla movie was 1954. Um, which I don't think I ever saw. I saw there was a sequel that was dubbed. They did a lot of dubbing back then. You know, that's, they make fun of the whole, you got Japanese movies with, uh, English voices, you know, and so the, yeah. the, vo- the, the ma- moving of the mouth doesn't match the voice at all. And it's, yeah. it's pretty bad. And I, I even mentioned it to a friend at work. I said, yeah, I watched the original King Kong vs. Godzilla, which was a dubbed movie. And they go, oh, yeah, I watched some of that. The acting was so bad. But it wasn't the acting. It was the fact that they, like, you can't blame acting, so to speak, because you're not hearing the original voice of the actor. You're hearing an English person putting words into a Japanese person. So it's almost like there's a barrier there. You almost can't evaluate the acting in some ways. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can evaluate how the Japanese person is moving. But you can't hear his voice. You hear the English voice. So anyways. You can't hear the emotion. Yeah. 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 It's totally different emotion. Totally different because it's, it's reliant on the dubbing of the English. Uh, for So uh, Godzilla, so like Kong is enslavement, exploitation, very much an American icon, right? But godlike, you know, there, there is sort of a representation of God, but sort of enslaving God. It's kind of weird. Whereas Godzilla doesn't, didn't start until um, 21 years after the first King Kong movie in 1954. And Godzilla was totally Japan. You know, uh, we worked with mm-hmm. Toho, I guess. Uh, I think the original Godzilla movie was Japanese, and then they did an American version, but totally worked with Toho, who was the company responsible for the original Japanese um, uh, Godzilla movies. And Godzilla represents totally different things. Godzilla came out of World War II, Japan. So and Godzilla was radioactive. <laughs> it's, it's the bomb. It's the nuclear bomb. Yeah. I mean, they even yeah. show that in the beginning of the movie. They showed yes. him getting nuked, don't they? Yes. Yes. I mean, Godzilla, it's a force of nature, you know, Godzilla. Yeah. In the, in the, in the new movie, but all throughout from the fifties on, they made so what's funny is King Kong had a 21 year start. The, the first King Kong movie was in 1933. Godzilla doesn't start till 1954. Yet there's over 35 Godzilla movies. And there's only like, what did I say? There's they really only, were cranking those out. They were cranking them out. There's only 12 <laughs> King Kong movies. So Godzilla became sort of the much more popular and it was more Japanese, I guess, but then America cranked out a bunch of them too. Um, but Godzilla represents sort of force of nature, you know, like out of, out of nowhere. And it's totally true in this new movie. What do you think? I mean, all of a sudden he just shows up. Godzilla just shows up, you know? Yeah. I feel like I would. I feel like people should be able to see him coming, but he just kind of like appears and is there. And you're yeah, like, okay. underwater, like he's a water creature, you know, but he's coming out of the water. That threw me off. I didn't realize he would be a water creature when I first started watching. I was, I was confused because he's just like a I, dinosaur. Like I, I agree. I agree. It's like he's a land dinosaur, 
Yet he can swim apparently thousands of miles in the ocean, no problem. He has he has no fins <laughs> or anything. I'm like no. he he looks like yeah. like a weird botched like T Rex. Like how yeah, does that even exactly? <laughs> yeah, to tie it to reality, this is again the willing suspension of disbelief. To tie <laughs> this to reality, it makes no sense that Godzilla is essentially a water creature, but he's. He's good at in water and on land, but I mean, he literally fought King Kong in the water. I'm like, yeah. how does this even happen? But you know, the Godzilla movies. What I was getting at is, I mean, when when we bombed, I say we because it was America. We bombed mm-hmm. Hiroshima and Nagasaki in in the mid 40s to essentially yeah. e- it ended World War II. But it was shocking to us and to Japan. And I mean, Japan was just devastated, literally, physically, and just mentally and psychologically devastated, you know, with those bombs. And so for the first time in history, nuclear bombs had been had been invented, but they were never used until, you know, was it 1945, I guess, when we dropped those bombs. So then nine years later, they, they so it was less than 10 years later, they created the Godzilla movies. So you're saying like Godzilla and King Kong are like politically coded kind of within itself. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say I'd say so. I mean, talk more about history, you know, tied to history in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh so Godzilla has always been associated with Japan. I mean, we uh, say we America actually made these movies initially with Japan. Now the Monsterverse though, these four films, we we I think they used some Japanese people, but they it was a total American production of of mm-hmm. all four of these films, which is a complete difference from from the past. Um, and, and actually, yeah, we talked about King Kong versus Godzilla. So, so you could make a joke and say this new movie, Godzilla versus Kong was really a remake of the 1962 King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> Not really, cause it's a completely different story, but let's, let's talk about the new film now. So, um, I think you g- give, give general thoughts on what you thought about the new movie. Um, I really liked it. Because the last one I had watched before that was King of Monsters, which I thought was boring. But this one, I really loved. I was thrown off by Millie Bobby Brown being in it because Wait, let's, I let's, forget. Let's stop for one second. We need to say we were <laughs> look. Listen, this is a spoiler alert. We oh do, yeah, we are going to totally spoil any film that we talk about in detail because for me, uh, there's no point in talking about a movie if we can't talk about the ending. You know, it just basically the whole movie and all of its glory or badness whatever <laughs> yeah um i was thrown off by millie because i'm used to even though we're, me and her are the same age i picture her as a little child from stranger things but in this one she is like an adult lady and that really threw me off it's interesting to see her as an adult now like playing real adult roles that's cool for yeah. her yes but actually like story-wise i really liked it i thought it was done really well and mm-hmm. i I loved well, this is this is the thing that stood out to me the most though I wanted to point out. Yeah. So well, you made me watch what's the director's name again? Uh, Adam Wingard. Adam, we, yeah, we'll talk about him. Adam Wingard, W I N G A R D. Yeah. Yeah, he Steve told me to watch The Guest, which is a um another yes. movie that he did. Right. And so you said that Adam likes a lot of um colors and yes. his, his music taste and his his color choices are interesting for yes. certain scenes uh-huh. cuz in the um in the final scene of the guests when they're like fighting for their lives and there's like neon lights and smoke and stuff like that. And like romantic music is happening. Right. Um, I noticed that same style in the fight between Godzilla and Kong while they're in Tokyo. Or well, no, it's it Hong- Tokyo? no, it's Hong Kong. And that's something we can talk about. I don't know. In my head, it was Tokyo. I'll tell you why in your head, it was Tokyo because up until this point, 
all of the final battles with Godzilla. Uh, not I say not all, but basically Tokyo and Japan was totally associated with Godzilla. Guess what? Not in this movie. This is the first movie where it's China. China, it's, they've totally switched it up. They've now associated a, uh, Godzilla with Hong Kong and China. Interesting. Yeah. And anyways, I have a, I have a theory behind that, but keep going. Because in that scene, like, when they're beating the crap out of each other, throwing each other in buildings, there's, like, because they picked a city like that, um, everything is really, like, there's tons of neon colors, like, neon signs, and there's the fire, and there's the smoke, and there's just different, like, everything was blue and red and, like, purple during, like, a very serious fight scene. So I thought that was cool that he, he, that just seems to be Adam's thing, is to just put... It's like, a, celebra- it, it's like a like celebration. It's like a celebration. It's a celebration of color. Color. I mean, he's just, you know, his visual style is just, he goes crazy, you know, with the colors. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't know, like, how to psychoanalyze that, so to speak. I mean, I know colors mean certain things, but when you have basically every color of the rainbow coming at you, I mean, I don't know what that means. It means everything. It means all the things that are associated <laughs> with college. I mean, he's just got a very much of it. He's he's a young guy still. He's only 38 years old. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty amazing. He's only in his 30s. And, 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 you know, he was handed this movie up to this point. I mean, he did he did do uh, The Guest, which was like a $5 million budget. It was very low budget. What was the budget? And, yeah. What's that? What was the budget for um, King Kong versus... Oh, oh, okay, yeah. So let's talk about that. So... Godzilla vs. Kong, up to this point, for the MonsterVerse movies, they were basically spending about $250 million. I think even the Godzilla movie in 2014 was around 200 or $250 million, where the budget for basically all four films, Godzilla, Godzilla, uh, King of Monsters, and uh, Kong, Kong Skull Island. And I don't know if it was Adam Wingard himself, but I feel like it was. Like Adam Wingard said, listen, Legendary, I don't need $250 million. I'll save you $100 million. Give me 150 million. And so he made this movie for 150 million. And it's the, to me, it's the best one of all of them. That's just my opinion. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even notice a budget cut like no, that. Exactly. It, it seemed top notch to yeah. me. Like I really yeah. was into it and I yeah. didn't notice anything that was like I, off. And I think, you know, Adam Wingard, any of these uh, directors that come from sort of an independent uh, mindset and how can we make this movie on the cheap? You know, they can easily, if, if they can handle the big, the bigger scale of things, they can also save uh, a company a lot of money because they're millions used to, of dollars. Yeah. They're used to cutting corners and, but it doesn't feel cheap at all. I mean, it's no, it felt like high dollar. Like huge. I would, I'm really surprised by that. Yeah. And I mean, so you watch the guest and I, I kind of watched the first part of the guest again. I mean, I've seen the movie like three times, but I've watched it like just in the last few days and to, to kind of notice his camera style, you know, and it's to compare the guest to King Kong vs. Godzilla. <laughs> or, sorry, Godzilla vs. Kong is completely different movies. But, you know, part of what auteur theory is, which I mentioned earlier, is determining what the director's style is. You know, there, there's sort of three levels to auteur theory. And we can ask the question, is Adam Wingard an auteur? Like, the, the phrase, uh, the, the terminology of auteur was sort of reserved for the greatest film directors. That's what, in the old <laughs> days, the, the French were very snooty, and they were like... These 10 directors are auteurs. No one, no one else is an auteur, you know? <laughs> and so it was like a title. And going back to Pauline Kael, Pauline Kael basically called BS on that. She hated auteur theory. And she, <laughs> she had a good point. Like, so her and Andrew Saris, Andrew Saris was the critic 
that said, these French guys are right. Auteur theory is what we, we need to worship these directors. The other ones maybe can make good movies, but these guys can only make the best movies. She said that was BS. She said a director <laughs> could be considered bad and make three bad movies and then make an awesome movie, which, you know what? I kind of agree with her. Like I do agree with that. Yeah. So auteur theory, the criticism of it is, it sort of says that there's a small set of, of people that are the geniuses and then no one else can touch them, you know, and that's not necessarily true. So a question we can ask is, is would Adam Wingard be considered an auteur in the French sense? I'm not sure yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll get that. To, we'll answer that question at the end. <laughs> but um, so, yeah. So, you know, he was handed this Godzilla versus Kong after really only making a few movies I guess Blair Witch, he did do Blair Witch, which was considered a direct sequel to the original movie. Now, the original movie cost like $200,000. It was that's, cheap. You know, did you ever see Blair that's Witch? That's really cheap. The, uh, sorry. Um, no, the I Blair, I'm at the Blair Witch Project from 1999. Did you ever see that? No, I have not. No, he, Adam Wingard did not direct that. But uh, uh, that movie cost like $200,000, and it made like $200 million. I mean, it was the biggest wow. difference in budget versus box office ever in the history of film. Yeah. Really? Yeah, the Blair Witch Project. I'm pretty sure of wow. that. I mean, those numbers might be wrong, but it was something like 200,000 was what it cost. 200 million was what it made. I mean, it was incredible. Basically, it made 200 million. <laughs> you know, wow. it was complete profit, 100% profit. Uh, but he made with, uh, he made Blair Witch in 2016, which was, I think it was made for a $50 million. So at that point, he was being given more money, but it was still only 50 million. I say only compared to the 150 million. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but Adam Wingard is a director. So I want to make a distinction between directors and writer directors, right? So you mentioned Ari Aster, right? Hereditary mm -hmm. Midsummer from last episode. He's a writer director. He literally, the first spark of an idea, he puts pen to paper. I mean, I'm being metaphoric, but he puts pen to paper and he writes it. He writes the screenplay Ari Aster does, then figures out how to film it and films it. Mm -hmm. and, and there's several writer directors like that. Uh, well, Robert Eggers is another one, you know, but there's, there's a bunch. Adam Wingard is not that. Now he has written some things, but Adam Wingard is like Hitchcock Spielberg. So, so these are famous directors that basically haven't written anything. Steven Spielberg wrote Close Encounters. So I think he co-wrote it, but he basically wrote nothing else. Hitchcock wrote nothing. Hitch, Hitchcock is regarded as one of the greatest directors of all time, which I agree, but he doesn't write a single word. He essentially is wow. given, given a script and turns that into a movie, you know. Uh, so Adam Wingard is at 38 years old, though. He's not a writer-director. He's a, a director, you know. And so That yeah. almost feels like more pressure because yeah. you want to bring life to the script that you're yeah. given. Yes. And, like, you don't want – because if you're a writer-director, then you, you already know your vision. Like, you know how you want it to be. But it's hard to sometimes right. convey between a writer and a director, like, what – they both want like that's exactly. kind of difficult. I agree with that. Yeah, the writer kind of, probably a, when a writer writes a screenplay, if they're just a writer, they probably still have an idea of. I mean, like what we talked about, words on a page with a book. That's essentially what a screenplay is. It's words on a page. There, there is no film at this point. It's just a screenplay. The guy who writes the screenplay probably has an idea, maybe, of what it should look like. You know, potentially, and the director could ruin that. <laughs> Like, yeah. like a bad director could ruin a, a good screenplay. Um, but I, I kind of agree with Paul and Kale in the sense that auteur theory, talking about the director. So I would say the director being the author of the film. I would say a great screenplay 
is harder to mess up by a bad director, but a bad screenplay, a, a great director probably can't make it a good film. That's just, that's a general statement. But if you have a bad screenplay, like the characters are very poorly drawn and, and, uh, you know, the story isn't really worked out. A good director can, can use all the technique that they want, but they can, maybe can't make a good film from a bad screenplay. I, if the story you, itself is bad, like yeah. it'll just be bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I agree with that. Like a director could add visuals that are eye popping and interesting, but they're working with a bad story. So. Mm-hmm. And I've read reviews on, did you, have you read any reviews, any film criticism, so to speak, on Godzilla versus Kong at all, or not really? Um, no, I kind of just stayed away from that to just That's see, fine. I wanted to see what, what yeah. your take on it is, because you're basically a film critic. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I've read a couple of reviews, and, uh, some of them slam it. They say the story is not that good. I think the story is good. What do you I think? I mean, about? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, what, what's to me what was amazing, and I wrote a bunch of notes, but I don't want to refer to them like separate notes on the movie. I took four pages of notes, Chloe. I oh watched, Lord. <laughs> I watched Godzilla versus Kong a second time, and I just was jotting. <laughs> I was jotting because I kind of already knew the story. So when I write it, when I watch it a second time, I could take. I used to do this when I wrote film reviews. I used to try to watch a movie twice before I wrote a review, and if I could, and I, the second time though, I would take notes. Like in the theater, I would have to get some kind of light because there was no phones back then. <laughs> I, I hope, I hope I wasn't, uh, uh, but I tried to take actually notes in the theater. Sometimes I just wow. wouldn't turn on the light. I just try to take notes in the dark. And then I, you look at your paper after I took the notes. I'm like, Oh man, like I could read it, <laughs> but it was all over the place. But anyways, I, I took a bunch of notes and uh, I, I, to me, I was amazed that Adam Wingard was able to, I, oh, by the way, the screenplay was written by Eric Pearson for Ragnarok. That's the best one. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I love that movie. And that, that he wrote, he co-wrote, Eric Pearson co-wrote, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, who he wrote Thor Ragnarok. And he wrote it with a guy named Max, uh, Max Borenstein. But Max Borenstein actually wrote Godzilla and Kong Sk- Skull Island, which to me, those were both very good. Uh, those, I really loved, um, uh, Skull Island a lot because it, it, it yeah. felt like satire to me, honestly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it had some World War II stuff in it, which was interesting because, World War II, to me, is totally associated with Godzilla, you know, because it came yeah. out of the atomic bomb and stuff. But then when they made Kong Skull Island, they associated King Kong with World War II, which, again, that's a, a lot of these modern filmmakers. They like to flip things on their on their end. Like, I know World War II used to be Godzilla the whole time. Guess what? We're turning World War II into Kong. Kind of like how Godzilla ended up in Hong Kong, like you said. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a total flip around. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, yeah, Eric Pearson and Max Borenstein wrote the screenplay for Godzilla vs. Kong. And I think they did a great job. I mean, what do you feel? So you, you, do you like the, the story and the dialogue and, and all that kind of stuff? What, what did you Yeah. I, th- I thought it was really well done. It had funny parts. I was yeah. never bored. Right. Um, I feel, I felt connected to Godzilla. No, I felt connected to, to huh. King Kong when I did Godzilla, but yeah. I just prefer King Kong, I think, because I really yeah. liked Skull Island with him and Brie Larson. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Uh, I was never bored. I, I felt like drawn in the whole time. I, li- I, I did enjoy it. Now, so to me, this is the first movie that Adam Wingard directed. So this is, okay, so he made a bunch of movies and he actually has a writing partner, a guy that's a little older than him, a guy in his 40s named Simon Barrett. And so Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard just became friends. 
Simon Barrett is only a screenwriter. That's all he does. And he pretty what much. What else has he done? That he, name is familiar. Well, well, he wrote The Guest. So, so Adam Wingard worked with Simon. Simon Barrett, they would probably get together and say an idea for a, a story. And then Simon Barrett would literally write the screenplay. So he wrote Your Next. Simon Barrett wrote The Guest. Simon Barrett wrote Blair Witch. And Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard together are doing the movie Face Off, a, a, a sequel. Do you ever see Face Off with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage from the, ni- no. the 90s? That's a great movie, and uh, you would like it. But anyways, they're, they're remaking it. But uh, Simon Barrett did not write Death Note, which you still haven't seen Death Note, which is based on the anime, yeah, right? I don't want to watch that. Though. Right. Yeah, you, you said that you'd be afraid. You're kind of going with, with some bias because you love Death Note's anime so much. I loved the anime, and yeah. I don't want the movie. I heard the movie like wasn't good and didn't like hold up, so I yeah. don't want to yeah. paint it with that. And I, I kind of agree with that. Like, I, 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 I'm not familiar with the Death Note anime, but I will be because I'm going to offer something for our next podcast episode. But we'll get to that at the end. But uh, <laughs> Death Note, the movie was okay. Okay, it wasn't that great. I didn't think though. And Simon Barrett did not write that. So pretty much all the movies that Simon Barrett wrote with Adam Wingard were very good to excellent. Uh, I think, in other words, what I'm saying is Adam Wingard definitely needs a good writer. The guy who wrote Death Note, that screenplay was not as good. I mean, Adam Wingard had some interesting visual things in Death Note, but to me, it just didn't have the emotional impact. And some of that falls on the director, but some of that falls on the dialogue and and the screenplay. So, so Adam and Simon just need to be always like connected. They need I, to be I, together. Yeah, and I think they continue, will continue to be because they're going to do. They're doing Face Off, like I said, this new Face Off, which was a, an old movie with Nicolas Cage and, uh, or did I say, um, and John Travolta. I don't know if Nicolas Cage and John Travolta are going to be in the new one because they're much older now. But, uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, I think Eric Pearson and Max Bornstein. So they brought in big guns to write the screenplay. Thor Ragnarok. You know, Eric Pearson. And the Godzilla yeah. Kong, Max Bornstein. And I think they did a good job, you know. Um, so so, uh, so I'm, now I'm looking at my notes. One other thing. So, uh, like, I, I approach this kind of talk about movies as if I was a film teacher or if I was a film student, um, what kind of a film essay would I want to write on a movie? And I know that sounds so uh, scholarly and boring to some people. But... <laughs> but I would title an essay for this film. Now we're, we're definitely going to be spoiling, you know, so two becomes three. I would title, I would title, um, an essay on Godzilla versus Kong two becomes three, two, the number two becomes three. And so what I mean by that is there's many threes in the movie. Like there's many things that start out as two and become three or essentially three is sort of a magic number. Like for example, um, it's Godzilla versus Kong, right? But by the end of the movie, there's really three monsters, right? So the two yeah, of them. Yeah, the company. Yeah, the, the Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. The Mecha Godzilla. So, which, you know, one of the themes, of course, which I, I, I would give the movie uh, negative points on the idea. It wasn't completely original. First of all, it's the 36th film in a good. I mean, after 36 movies, I mean, you can only do so, you can only right, do so many. Right. And so they're, they're drawing on the tropes, so to speak, the, the, the tropes and the sort of the cliches of older Godzilla movies, but they're trying to do some new things, you know. Uh, they're just spicing it up. Yeah, yeah. So Godzilla, Kong, and. 
Mecha Godzilla. So that that's two becomes yeah. three. But there's other two becomes threes. There, there is a lot. So um, I mean, there's Millie's character and the little boy that she's friends with. They exactly. came up with the podcaster. Excellent. Very good. Yeah. So th- th- they were they were just these two friends, Josh. And um, what's Millie's character's name? I wrote it down, but Millie, yeah, Millie Bobby Brown or whatever. Millie Bobby Brown, right? Mm-hmm. Bobby Bobby Brown was a pop star, so her name is Millie Bobby Brown. Anyways, yeah, that's, that's funny. But yeah, Millie and Bob, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, and then the character of Josh—I don't remember the actor's name—they're sort of a pair. They were friends, obviously. But he's she's listening to this podcast. I don't know if he listened to the podcast, but she's like, "You're coming with me. We're gonna go, you know, hook up with this guy, you know, because she's way into." So it's it, this movie is the first movie now. Podcasts have been around for about ten years, and they've really been popular about six years, five years or so. I started listening about five or six years ago. This is the first film that I remember that features a podcast. Do you, can you think of any other movies that feature a podcast <laughs> in the in the story of the movie? I can't. No. I've never thought about that. It's kind, of, it's kind of it's kind of cool, and, and so movies do. I notice with technology and with different trendy things, movies tend to be about five years behind the times because yeah. it, it takes time to make a movie. So once they realize there's a trend, oh, we got to put that in our movie, you know. Um, and in this case, it's kind of cool because it 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 it, it uh, sort of modernizes the story, you know. You, mm-hmm. The fact that this girl is obsessed with this conspiracy podcast, you know, by and he was a little guy. bit crazy, but he yeah. ended up being right, so it was okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and so two becomes three. There, you know, it's it's and it's a very diverse group because uh, you know, Millie Bobby Brown is essentially a white girl. His her friend Josh is uh, he seems to be uh, Islander of some kind, Asian descent. I don't know. You know, it's just interesting. And then he was in the, the um he was in Taika Waititi's Hunt for the Builder People. Oh, okay. So I didn't even know. The, I don't remember the actor's name. I could look it up. But uh, and then the 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 older black actor who is the podcaster. He's the podcast mm-hmm. host. I don't remember his name, but he's he's a comedian, I think. Right? I don't. Remember he's hilarious. Yeah. I don't know what his name is either. Oh, yeah. He actually. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Another two becomes three. This is separate. The the little girl and like the adopted mother. Yes. They ended up teaming up with the the one guy who's exactly and is like the exactly. whatever his name is. So let, let's go through the opening. I wanted to go through the opening two minutes of the film. You know, this is the kind of film talk that I like. So do you remember what the opening shot of, of Godzilla vs. Kong is? The first thing you see is the sun. Yeah. Isn't With, it? Are they like in the jungle? Well, yeah, they are. But do you remember something is revealed two minutes in? And this is what's cool. And this is a very co- conventional way of starting a movie that the the director and the story, you know, the screenplay writers, but the, the director ultimately is fooling the audience. Like, mm-hmm. so you see the sun, so you think you're outside. And in fact, the credits come on the screen where it says somewhere on Skull Island. And, and yeah. he said, Adam Ungar would say, I wasn't lying to you. So what you find out. So let's, let's go through this real quick. Cause it's only about two minutes. The opening shot is the sun, like bright, mm-hmm. big fills the screen with these weird birds that are flying by, which is kind of cool. So you, you, so then you assume it's Skull Island. Yeah, well, and the words so tell you that somewhere on Skull Island, but but yeah, mm-hmm. the, the birds flying by because it's very typical for many many movies have started with a shot of the sun. Yeah, and so and you it usually it usually pans down. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. I think it was just still. I mean, Adam Wingard does like to move the camera around. Uh, in fact, in the guest, he does that shaky cam, but it's subtle. Like I, there was a trend there where the shaky cam was. I'm not talking. Um, handheld found footage movies, which are crazy, but uh, I'm talking where it's a slight, they moving the camera slightly all the time. Very slight. The guest, mm-hmm. if you watch the guest again, you'll notice that. And that kind of, no, I noticed it then it was just like a slight wobble. It, yeah. Just the, ever so slightly. In the guest. Now in the Godzilla versus Kong, after watching it twice 
and then I watch that opening segment twice. There's none of that. There's there's slow big uh, camera pans, and it's it's to kind of to me it's psychologically to sort of imitate how Kong moves because Kong's Mm -hmm. this big guy. You know, I think of some of these big. I'm a I'm a sports fan, so. I associate with some of these really tall uh, tight ends in, in NFL football where they catch the ball like Rob Gronkowski of the Buccaneers. I'm a big Buccaneer fan. This is not a sports talk, but just the way <laughs> Rob Gronkowski moves, like if he catches the ball in the open field, he's like six seven, So he moves with these big steps. It's kind of funny watching him because it seems like he's running slow, but he's not. He's actually running not as fast as some of the guys, but he's running fast. And so Kong is that way. Like Kong's not sprinting, like moving his legs really fast. But because he's so tall, he only he takes one step is like yeah, thousands and, of feet. Yeah, and the camera kind of moves that way. It's like a big movements, but slow. You know. Uh, yeah, so you kind of feel like you're kind of a part of the yeah, monsters, kind of. Yeah, like with Kong, and it's almost like the camera is on a vine. I think of it as a vine, like in the old days, or gorillas or whatever, monkeys swinging from vines. It's almost like he has the camera. It's like a drone, but. Of course, in the CG environment, there is no camera. It's simply perspective. Like, there's no camera mm-hmm. filming that. Uh, uh, there's, if it's 100% CG, it's simply electronic digital camera moving, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's almost like he's got the camera perspective on a big vine and he's swinging it through, especially during the fight scenes. But anyways, yeah. the, op- the opening shot is the sun and it says somewhere on Skull Island. What's the next shot in the film? After the camera breaks from the sun, do you remember what the next shot is? I want to say it's like a doorway or something. No. Or like, or does King- it, no, it's Godzilla. It's it's King Kong. Yes. He's going about his time. Yeah. Oh, I remember now. It's He's going he's about his, his life. He's just chilling. He's laying back. He's asleep. Yeah. And he's waking. He's just chilling. He's waking up like it's the morning. So the sun is obviously, especially when you see a sun, it's either associated with sunset or sunrise, and I, I'm thinking they're trying to tell us this is the morning, right? It's sunrise. Yeah. You you watch him kind of do his routine, like he's yeah. walking around. Yeah, it's like he's a human, like a, a sort of a, a big, oaf, oafy male. I, I'm mm-hmm. assuming he's male. We, we can get into that. I'm only assuming he's male. They, I guess they do, do they refer to him as he? Yeah. Uh, he's a male. I mean, you know. They're like, because I remember the girl's like, he's scared. So like, yeah. yeah so he's he, a male. He's a but male. it's funny when he gets up, he does the big yawn. And then, yeah. and then he walks off in the water and, and, and Adam Wingard is showing him from behind. So you see his big butt yeah. and he scratches it. <laughs> he scratches his, it. He scratches <laughs> It's hilarious. I mean, so for, first of all, let me talk about that. So first of all, the first shot is the sun. The second shot is Kong. Like that's unheard of. There's never been a Godzilla or King Kong movie where the second shot of the film, literally 10 seconds in, you see the monster immediately. Yeah, because they always, they always build up. Like they always, oh, yeah. they yeah. always like, oh, it's suspense and it, oh, he's coming. Like exactly. we gotta do something quick. But in this one, they honestly really humanized Kong for me. Like right. he wasn't even a monster at this point. He was like, it's like something he's just a you guy. want to protect. He's like yeah. a big, big guy, except he's 300 feet tall or whatever. Yeah. But it's funny, they show, he shows him from behind scratching his butt. I mean, obviously that's humor. There's music playing. So that's another, it's not two becomes three, it's essentially three. There's three pop songs in the film. One then, and it's, I wrote it down. The name of the song is, um, Bobby Vinton's Over the Mountains Across, the words are Over the Mountains Across the Sea. There's a girl, she's waiting for me. Mm hmm. And that's the first thing you hear, Bobby Vinton's song. It's, it's an older song, but, Bobby Vinton did it in the 60s, I think. 
It's so interesting, that song. You know, he uses very, Adam Wingard is one of these, a lot of these younger directors that are kind of uh, going back to old music because it's kind of cool. Uh, another one who does that is, um, what's his name? The Guardians of the Galaxy guy, James Gunn. Yeah. I mean, James Gunn is incredible. I, we'll talk about him when the Suicide Squad comes out because they're he's totally rebooting that. That movie is only like four years old, but he's like, forget that movie. I'm redoing it. <laughs> well, because the first one was awful. Yeah, I mean, I actually liked it than some more, more, most people. Uh, but anyways, yeah, that's another podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, James Gunn is another one, and he's uh, James Gunn is probably closer to fifty years old. But uh, but yeah, the idea of using his old pop songs, it's kind of cool. You know, King Kong is just, I mean, he could totally destroy you. But yet they have this really soft song about, uh, I can say, there's a girl waiting for me. And so he, and so another film essay that we could write about this film, I didn't actually write the essay, but I'm coming up with an essay that you could write would be, what does water and fire represent in the movie? Like all the metaphor of water and fire, you know, we don't need to talk about that, but he's walking well, on the yeah. poster. Isn't Godzilla Godzilla's blue. And then King Kong is red. Exactly. There you go. I didn't even think about that. Perfect. Yeah. Blue is associated with water. Red is associated with fire. Yeah. So water and, and um, fire. Yeah. Godzilla's Godzilla's like when he like blows hit fire. I got to assume that's fire. He like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Builds it up. That's blue too. So he has his, he has. Oh, but that's it's blue. Like, yeah, so it's kind of combining fire and water. And I was kind of getting to that, that there's sort of a combination of water and fire. I mean, basically, when they clash, there's both of that, you know. But anyway, mm-hmm. so let's take you through the shot. So he walks through the water from his behind, behind big butt, scratching his butt like he's an, like a bachelor, like an old <laughs> or, or even a younger bachelor guy just in a pad, just getting up. You know, he doesn't have there's no one there. But then the, the girl is shown, you know, to so the deaf girl, Gia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what'd you think of, of that actress who played? Uh, I thought she did a really good job because yeah. I, I mean, she's a, a little child and she right. does amazing. Cause I imagine working with like a fully CGI monster would be kind of a difficult thing yeah. to do. Like I having agree. to act when there's nothing there. Yeah. And she did really well, like conveying that he has emotions and yeah. they're attached to each other. Yeah. Did, I mean, I read about her a little bit. Did you read about her at all? No, we, I, I didn't. Again, Wikipedia, it's got it all out there. <laughs> I feel like we're lazy. Like, we could find out some of the, I'm not saying you are, but I mean, just the film audience. No, I am. I didn't want to read about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to encourage you to read more. Even even Wikipedia, you know, because you can get real short snippets of things. And, and most of the information is fairly valid. But anyways, talk about, uh, you know, uh, diversity and also um, casting. Because in the old days, they would have used a nine-year-old girl who actually had hearing who actually was a hearing girl. This girl, the actress is deaf. Did you oh, know that? That's amazing. I yeah. love when they include like, yeah. cause, cause there are all, this is an example. There's a show called atypical uh-huh. and the, um, the, the main character has autism. And so in the show, he goes to like a support group and there's like 10 autistic actors. Like they're okay. actually autistic in real life. And I yeah. think it's amazing yeah. that they give them opportunities. I love when people yeah. with like different, things get to like you know be featured as well yeah to represent their true self and their true disability so to speak yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i I could see positive and negative to it and by the way we do have an email set up i I wanted to mention this right in the middle of the podcast because wait we should mention that the end because what i'm about to say could could (laughs) listen because what i'm about to say could generate some hate mail i'm just being funny so send your, (laughs) it won't be it won't won't be that bad yeah i'm gonna say send your hate mail to the film theorist 
podcast at gmail.com. That's that's an actual Gmail we have now. The All film right, so theorist Gmail. Yeah, what I'm about to say is the whole idea of using a deaf girl for a deaf uh, role. You know, it's kind of, it's cool. I mean, it's cool. And she does a great job. So I, I actually don't fault that at all because that, but if they used a deaf girl and she was not good in the movie, I would have said, you should have used her. You should have used probably a hearing girl because there's probably very few deaf actresses. Maybe there's more now. Of that who, age. Who, at that age, like who that could, age range. Who could have pulled it off? But she did phenomenal. Yeah, so that was a good choice. That but, can be difficult. Well, that can be difficult because there are obviously probably hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people who want acting jobs. So there's a wide range of people that you could get that will fit the description that you need. So that's why I think it's important to look like, for example, if they got a deaf actress who was good. That's important rather than like if they were to give that role to a girl who can hear. Right. Whereas just because she can hear it, it would be easier to work with her. Maybe that would be honestly wrong to me because like this girl is amazing. And just because she, you know, is actually actually can't hear. That doesn't mean that she shouldn't get the the role of of the girl. Right. I I agree with that. I mean, I I think it's nice to cast people in their particular, uh, whatever their background is or whatever their disability is in that role. Um, And that is the trend. But, you know, if if you got, say, a a Korean and a Chinese uh, person going for a, a Chinese role, they'll tend to pick the Chinese person simply because that's sort of the political thing now, even if the Korean is a better actor. So it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, and that's maybe this is very politically incorrect to say, but maybe they should have picked the Korean actor because he would have been better playing the the Chinese. But now that's all. Now that's that's like, I think it depends on the casting. I think it depends on the casting crew. Like, are you looking for accuracy or like a performance? I think it depends on who, who your audience is to. But now on the flip side, and this is where I'm really going to get the hate mail today. They don't think anything of if it's a New Yorker or not a New Yorker, an American person. They cast an Australian actress and she just doesn't, she downplays her Australian accent and she does an American accent. Well, shouldn't they like have cast? Like Margot Robbie, isn't she Australian? I, I don't even know. Maybe, maybe. I think she's Australian yeah. and she plays like Harley Quinn and stuff. Who's there like- you go. But, uh, but they shouldn't use, they shouldn't use her if she's Australian. They should use an American actress. I, I'm just being. You know, I'm being kind of funny, but you know what I'm saying? That's, there's a little I bit I think of, that, in that case, is more of the, she's an amazing actress, so they're going to use her over yeah, someone else. There you go. Because I think, I think that's more about the talent that she has. Well, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, again, the, the scenario of a Chinese and a Korean actor going for a Chinese role, they're going to pretty much pick the, if it comes down to those two, well, no, the Korean is out because he's Korean. Uh, you know, and I guess, well, the thing is, movies have gotten to be more global audience, so, like in Korea or China, they're going to notice that right away and maybe be offended that they used a Korean in a China. I can understand that. But anyways, I, I think just... you're, you're describing really bizarre scenarios that like aren't super likely to come up. Like, I mean, it, I guess yeah. you could say it is luck that they found this deaf girl who is amazing, but like, yeah. yeah. Like that's just, I don't, I don't know. I just think that I, they did really amazing with their casting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I'm making a little big of a deal of it because I want to get, I want to infuriate some people and they send us emails. Well, I don't want to do that. 
But I'm the editor. I can edit all this out if I That's want. That's true. Yeah. No, but it was, it, she did a great job. I mean, it was the smart, it was the right choice to use a deaf actress for this deaf character because she did awesome. Because if they were to use a hearing girl, there would be backlash of like, well, there are plenty of deaf, deaf actresses that could, you could use, which is true. Like, I'm glad they use a deaf girl because I want the the casting yeah. and the writing to be as accurate as possible. Right. And I guess maybe that is true now. Maybe that wasn't true in the past, but it is true now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, two becomes three. You know, that that was definitely uh, uh, so three pop songs uh, that the pairing up. Right. Uh, the, the two monsters become three. They're basically battling each other. That's sort of on the negative side, but it's Kong and Godzilla realize we got a common enemy, which is a trope. Like, you know, there's so many movies that have done that where two people are battling and then they realize, no, there's this other enemy. That's who we need to battle. You know? Enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like, like <laughs> that. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, the opening, I, I go back to the opening again. So the opening shot and then he's scratching his butt and then he walks through the water and then, and then they show that the camera swings to the right and they show that device that's in that it's with a red light. So you can tell on the tree. there's some monitoring going on, but you're, you still think this is the thing. You still think that this is, um, Skull Island outside, you know, in normal. You don't think anything of it. He, he, he grabs a tree. He rips a tree out of the ground and I'm, we're thinking, well, why is he doing that? There's no, there's no clear reason why he's doing that. He strips the branches off. He takes it, makes it a spear. Oh, actually, before that, maybe he, I don't know if he walks. I don't remember the order. But the girl holds up his, I, I call it a voodoo doll. It looks like a voodoo doll, but it's a, but it's a Kong doll. He holds <laughs> yeah. the Kong doll up to him. So you can tell there's a, and this is where expressionism. There's a connection there. Yeah, expressionism totally comes in here. Remember we talked about expressionism and realism. Remember what Adam Wingard decides to do? He shows the perspective of the deaf girl. And that's when you really know she's deaf almost right away. But he closes in on her face and then moves toward her ear. So we're being told by the camera, this is a deaf she girl. Can't hear. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the sound completely goes out. There's, there's just like a little bit of muffle. Just like vibrations. Kind vibrations. Of like so that's 100% that is an example of expressionism. So we are literally being taken into the, even though you know, all movies are just sort of, uh, what do you call it, omniscient narrator. You know, there's really not first person narrator in films. You know, there's not I for the most part. But in that case, they're kind of, it becomes that. Like uh, Gia, the, the deaf girl character, we're totally taken into her perspective. That was so cool. What did you think about that? I really liked it. And I, yeah. and I, I really liked that she was the one who was connected to Kong. Cause it's yeah. like, cause she could teach him to sign and they could, yeah. they could like be like friends. And it's interesting. Cause he's like this huge monster and she's just this little, this little girl, but together they're like, they're friends, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. It's an example of the little girl, the little kid becomes the smart one. Like that, that's sort of a theme in many movies. Like the mm -hmm. one that the one that you would least expect to sort of be the most knowledgeable, intelligent character becomes the one that basically uh, reveals the truth about things, you know. And, yeah, and technically yeah. saves the day because then they right. can be able to communicate with Kong. Yep, yep. So the fact that she's deaf, and it was a, it's a great message. The fact that you're deaf, that doesn't mean you can't accomplish great things. I mean, literally, this yeah. deaf, act, deaf actress has gotten this role, and and in the story, the deaf character uh essentially becomes sort of their savior in a way you know mm -hmm. uh, allowing him to communicate and she, she's able to tell what he thinks you know 
And so it ends with, he takes that spear and he throws it in the air. And we're thinking, what is he doing? He's just throwing the spear in the air. That makes no sense. And do you remember what he's actually aiming for? And it literally hits. I watched it a couple of times, so I know for sure. It hits the sun. Like he, yeah. he throws it into the sun, which is, then it becomes clear. It's not the sun. It's, it, it breaks I apart. Don't. You see the, the, uh, the girders and the, the railing of the, yeah, biodome, and they refer to it as a biodome. So that's sort of, it was almost like a, a short film, like a two minute short film to intro the film. Did you ever see Chicken Little? I don't think so. I know the story though. The old, well, Chicken old Little, story. the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Okay. Like that's yeah. all I could think about. Yeah, yeah, like, Ex- exactly. The yeah, fake that, sky being torn apart and falling yeah. down. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, the the idea that, and, but it, it, psychologically, it's like Adam Lingard has fooled us. You know, he has fooled us. You know, the, the screenwriters too. It's obviously in the story. We thought we were in the real world, but we weren't. You know, we were in a dome that's totally fake. You know, yeah, just fabricated to keep Kong contained. Yeah, which is kind of a commentary on film itself. So when we're watching a movie, we're not watching real life, but a, a good movie takes us into that world, and we we imagine with our mind that we're kind of in this world because we're really engaged in a story. Yet a bad movie, it it takes us out, and we realize, oh, this is fake. You know, so mm-hmm. I it, it, you can t- talk about that scene in terms of it being sort of a commentary on film itself. Uh, you know, that's a little deep maybe, but, um, but th- th- that whole opening segment I thought was great. I mean, what, so I loved it. I thought yeah, it was a yeah. great intro to a film. It's, it did so many things. It introduced Kong, you know, and it gave him human characteristics with his comedy in it, you know, uh, and, and the idea that, that there's some fakeness going on, you know, but, but really after that segment, there's not a lot, there's some surprises and stuff, but there's not another scene where you're completely fooled. You, you are a little bit because all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, Mecha Godzilla is introduced, you know? So that yeah. was, that was a, a big, a mystery or whatever that was shown. So the, the beginning and the end shot. So the closing shot. So the, I'm just going to go right to the closing shot. Do you remember what the closing shot is before the credits roll? It's calm. Isn't it? It's calm. Yeah. It's so calm. Godzilla, Godzilla swimming away. Gilla, they basically, sort of defeated this uh, common enemy, which was uh, Mecha Godzilla, And Godzilla goes swims. in the water. Yeah, they like, they right. almost like nod their head at each other and like, yeah. all right, we it's understand like each other now. Respect. Yeah. It's mutual respect. Mm-hmm. But then Kong is up on this cliff cliff side and uh, the camera swings real big, almost like Kong swinging on a vine is the way I think of it. But, and it's sort of a big swing and showing Kong. And I think he's beating his chest. So the closing shot and the opening shot are, this is really Kong's movie. I mean, would, would you agree? It's called Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong, and Godzilla is the first one mentioned, but this is really a movie about King Kong. What, what, what do you think about that? I would agree it's mostly King Kong. It opens with King Kong. It closes yeah. with King Kong. Yeah. You're really following King Kong through them getting him to Skull Island to America. Right. Like, you're following, and then you're also, like, trying to get him into the Hollow Earth. Like, it's, it, Godzilla is there. Yeah. And he's relevant, but it is King Kong's movie. Right. Now, let's just jump around now. Do you remember the uh, the first time that they m- actually battle? Like, they're bringing Kong over. Yeah, it's like in the water. Yes. They're literally, what's the first time that these two monsters actually touch? Do you remember where they are? They're underwater. They're underwater because Godzilla that's, knocked yeah. King Kong off. Like, he hit the boat. So, you know, yeah. King Kong falls in the ocean. and yeah. But then the ocean is Godzilla's territory. For some reason. Right. So. Yeah. Being a T-Rex somehow able to swim. Yeah. 
Which, you know, we can say that's ridiculous in our real world, but I, I guess I wasn't bothered by it, really, because I enjoyed the fact that... I mean, I still it. enjoyed it. It didn't, yeah, it didn't ruin it for me. <laughs> but it's interesting that Adam Wingard decides, and it's just the screenwriters as well, decides that the first time they touch is underwater. So they're literally... Mm-hmm. He's, still, he's still got that, that uh, ring He's, like, chained up and everything. Around his neck, which is also a reference to the original uh, film. Like he breaks his change in the original film or whatever. But, uh, you know, Kong is always having to break out of his enslavement, so to speak. He's always being enslaved. You know, yeah, they and, just need to let him be, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the thing. It's like we, in that opening sequence, the first two minutes, we think that they're sort of letting Kong, Kong be sort of free on his skull island. You know, he's he's free. He's not free. He's contained in this biodome. So and it's, it's just like, let him be. Like, why do we need yeah, to study them? <laughs> he's still enslaved. Like, they're keeping him in this jail. It's a big jail, but it's still jail. And I thought that was interesting that the first time they touch is underwater. And then... I learned this from film class. I, I kind of already knew about opening shot, closing shot being important. But in film classes at University of Florida, I was taught, uh, you should pay attention to the direct middle of the film. Like, what is going on? The direct- A lot of times, they will literally have something very significant, literally, in the, like if a movie is two hours long, fast forward to the hour mark and see what is going on in the film. Guess what's going on? Okay, the movie is, I think, just under two hours. Um Right, I actually watched it the second time to see right in the direct middle of the film. Guess what's going on right in the direct middle of the film? And this will lead to our next little conversation. What's I don't know, I'm not really good with timeline. They're going into hollow earth. They're literally going into the middle of the earth. Oh, that the, makes sense because then the that opens the up the next chapter of the movie. Yeah, that kind of opens yeah. up the next chapter of the movie where like yeah. start, stuff starts to go bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting, though. Like, like you know, I remember my film press professor telling me, look at the middle of the film and see what's going on. That could comment on sort of the, the rest of the film or the whole film. And it does. It's like the middle of the film is the middle of the earth. They, they're yeah. actually, they're actually, he's actually swinging on, on that, that, that channel going from the Antarctic down, down to mm-hmm. the middle, you know, and then they're like, oh, he's going. And, and of course, I got to go. It, it took Gia to convince him, the, the deaf girl, to convince him to go. So she's a very significant character. It's amazing how much weight they had to put on this actress and the character in her debut. This was her first film. So Really? Was her, I didn't realize it was her this first, her first I figured film. She, I assume she had probably been in something at some point, considering she was so good. She, I think she did commercials or some other like things, but never a film. Like, this is her first movie. So the middle of the film, the middle of the earth. You know. So what did you think of the whole – so ho- the hollow earth theory – the whole hollow earth idea, the whole hollow earth idea. What'd you think of it? You think it was ridiculous or uh, what'd you think of it? I mean, I had never even heard of that before. Like I've never, yeah. Yeah. that was really, cause that the hollow earth was the first time, like watching this movie was the first time that had been in- introduced to me. Right. Um, and I thought that was really bizarre because the. It's almost like gravity people, reverses or something. Yeah. yeah, like that was really, I was like, how is the globe even big enough for this to even like yeah. have a second world underneath? Yeah, to have things, but, all these big, huge areas, essentially hollow earth, you know, supposedly that's where the monsters came from. And they talk about that in the movie a little bit, you know. But, I just try not to think about it too much because it, it felt like I would start to unravel the story for me if I really yeah. thought about it well, I not listen, being accurate. I listened to this one podcast where they talk about, they reviewed the movie and they talk about hollow earth and they say, that's, that's so ridiculous. Like, like this movie invented hollow earth. So I think we, we've texted about this, but hollow earth theory is a real theory. Now it's been debunked, but it started with well, a guy yeah. named Ed, Edmund Halley, H-A-L-L-E-Y in 1692. 
And then it was backed up by another guy, uh, a couple other guys uh, in the 1800s. So it, it kind of from almost 1700 to into the 1800s for almost 100 years, there was several scientists, researchers that believed potentially this to be true. Not not the monster side of it, so to speak, but just the idea that there was huge pockets of Earth underneath and uh, potentially some of it was livable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous now, but I thought that's kind of interesting. So, you know, this movie is basically using this historical real theory. It's not film theory now. It's just a theory theory, scientific theory. Um, but it was fun. I mean, it's just fun. You know, I, I, I really like science fiction. I know we talked about it. You're not sure if you like science fiction only because you haven't seen too many science fiction movies that you've. I haven't seen enough to decide because I've yeah, seen like maybe yeah. four and half of them I didn't like. So it's just hard to tell. I have a feeling you would lean more towards sci-fi horror, which, you know, I don't know if you saw. Well, like, that, well yeah, I do. Yeah. I do prefer that. Yeah. And like I, alien I, and stuff. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, um, but you know, the whole idea of hollow earth, we talked about the Titans, which is a Greek myth. And it, you know, it's, it, this movie is playing on all these kind of real mythological things, you know? Um, but yeah, hollow earth theory was theory was pretty much disproven, you know, uh, you know, it's not true, but, uh, there's many references though in the ancient, well, going back to ancient Greeks, but also like Mesopotamia, there's a Celtic myth, Hindu myth, German, Native American. There's all these different, and even in the Bible, they talk about stuff in the middle of the earth. There's verses that talk about, uh, stepping in the middle of the earth. Hades, uh, also called, um, Sheol, not hell. Hades and hell are sort of two different things. I don't want to get into that, but they talk about potentially Hades being, in the middle of the earth. Like, so it's kind of interesting, you know, uh, there are, there are flat earthers. You think there are any like hollow <laughs> earthers out there? There you go. Yeah. To <laughs> me, flat earth is about as ridiculous as hollow earth, but yet, yet flat earth is kind of taken a life of its own. Like it, it, it uh, yeah, there's there because of YouTube and different things. There's people that actually believe the earth is flat, like for real. Like it's growing. The number of people that believe like that. it's a community. Yeah. yeah. It's a community. Maybe That's we should start, we should start a hollow earth fan club. Yeah. Uh, well, I was looking at some stuff about Hollow Earth and uh, like in the monster verse, you know, there's a there's a lot to it. You know, there's a whole backstory and all that kind of stuff to mm -hmm. to it. But um, and then there's subterranean fiction, which so this this would sort of fall in the fact that the Hollow Earth, there's this whole tradition of subterranean fiction. And I, I noticed in the opening credits, it literally says sub, it uses the word subterranean, which simply just means under the earth, you know. But uh, Jules Verne wrote a novel called Journey to the Center of the Earth, which there's... Well, that been... became several movies. Yeah, several movies. And so literally they go under the earth and there's things in the, in the earth, you know, just like Hollow Earth. And then the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur, Arthur Conan, Conan Doyle, he wrote Sherlock Holmes in many of its stories. He also wrote a, a, a book called The Lost World, which I think there was a movie about the lost world, which is essentially an under the earth, inside the earth civilization. So wow. yeah, there's a lot of traditions with that. So um, I guess we've kind of gone a little off the rails, but the, the two becomes <laughs> two becomes three. I mean, you know, pairing up teams, diversity, a lot of father daughter stuff in the movie. You know, um, uh, I don't know what Adam Wingard's personal. I don't, I, I don't know if he's married and has kids. I, I, he's 38. He might. I, don't, I didn't know about the personal because I, I do like to look at, uh, you know, if you personally have certain things in your life, you you might tend to kind of understand that better and then maybe even work that into the story, you know, type thing, even though yeah, you like your personal life influences your movies like Ari Aster right. did with Ms. Omer. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's a lot of father daughter stuff. There's not so much mother daughter, although there is, cause I guess the girl sort of has adopted, technically she's adopted Gia 
uh, you know, the deaf girl as her kid, but it's not her mm-hmm. biological kid. And uh, but there is father daughter stuff. There's sort of a father daughter that has gone wrong in the movie. It's the yeah, one there's Millie's character and her dad. And he she's like, she, we have to she, we have to listen to this guy. He knows what's going yeah. on. And the dad just like dismisses her and is like, no, but. What a but they end, up, is. they end up reuniting at the end, and it's good. Like, like the the, the commentary of the movie is that you know th- this father daughter relationship. It's like many, but it's actually a, a solid relationship. They they're together at the end. But the other one with Alex uh, Alexander Skarsgård and his daughter, his daughter, the the, he- the head of that uh, Apex, and his daughter is in the film as a character. She's the one. Mm-hmm. They both end up getting killed, but she's, yeah. she's the one that puts out the little spider things to get the power source. Yeah, I didn't like her. Yeah, yeah. And she, it was almost like she was a thrown-in character. They talk about feminist theory and the idea that, well, that character was just kind of thrown in there. You know, she it was sort of a, a one-dimensional. She showed, up, she showed up late and then died early. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> she was just in there to be there. But you could almost say that she was sort of a, a product of her father. You know, like, it just, uh, you know. But, yeah, there was, it was sort of one-dimensional. But they, she gets killed. Basically, so both both her father, the father and the daughter, and that get killed. Well, that's good because they they were they were not good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, I mean, we we talked about a lot of things. So I mean, I covered everything that I got on here. Is there any other you got out of your system? Yeah, uh, that I have. I know you've been building this up for a while. Talking about even on text message, you've been real pumped about this one. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more to say. I mean, but you know, I mean, there always will be more to say. But we're, it we're, we're almost at two hours. <laughs> I read it this. Oh, t- two hours. Okay, yeah, you'll cut out a lot. What do you think about doing the next podcast, doing Demon Slayer as a film and anime in general? And I, which means I'll have a lot of homework to do, so I'll have to watch. The you rest have of- a lot of homework, and I do too, because I've honestly only watched like ten animes, but I have adored the ones I've seen. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of new to both of us, but um, so but we can delve into it, maybe take a. It's few- It's becoming more popular here in America. Like it's oh, yeah. been since ever since like TikTok, the app was created. It's become. Yeah. Almost like a trend, but right. I'm really happy it has been because I would have never really gotten into it if it wasn't for like the the push of like the media. Yeah, I have some friends who've already watched the movie and they said it was really really emotional and that we should definitely do all right, good an episode on it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and you know we could take a few weeks to do it because we gotta study up. You know, we don't have an upload schedule, so I guess we'll just like do it yeah. when we want. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, so um... should we? We have a oh, we have an Instagram now. Steve runs it. Oh, yes. Well, we both can run it. You have the password. but uh, Yeah, yeah I, I need I to get in it. I haven't yet, but you've posted on it. so Yeah, it's called The Film Theorist. One word. The Film Theorist. No spaces, no underscores on Instagram. That was available, so I took it. So, And Chloe was very impressed that a 55-year-old man could actually uh, create an Instagram. I would press myself because <laughs> I don't know how, if I know how to do this, and I just sort of fumbled around with my phone and figured it out somehow. <laughs> well, and, I asked you to do it because I have to do all the rest of the tech stuff. Like, yeah, I've yeah, got to edit this yeah, two-hour yeah, episode. Yeah, I got to do a few things for you. Yeah, and <laughs> and I even asked you. I said, "Well, how do we get followers?" And you're like, "I don't like, know. I don't know. I don't know." And it just sort of naturally <laughs> it naturally happened because I just sent out a bunch of requests, and now this Instagram thing. I think we're up to like thirty people following us now. Ooh, that doesn't mean everyone's going to watch. It's all about the podcast. So I put the the bio, the link in the bio to whatever the latest, or I guess maybe the latest episode. Or the link to the overall podcast. I forget which one it is, but yeah, when this one, when I upload this one, you can post about it. I did want to, I did want to tell you just like separately. I did watch. I might cut this out depending on whatever. I did watch my dinner with Andre because I saw you posted about it. That was on HBO Max, (laughs) and um, 
I I wanted to like it because I was like, oh, this is like weird and quirky. Here's my issue with it is I am really sensitive about like chewing sounds. It's like a real, I don't know what the actual. Oh yeah. They were talking with their mouth open or chewing their food. They were chewing. It's like about (laughs) 45 minutes in. So I feel like Andre has some kind of personality disorder. He seemed kind of unhinged, honestly. He seemed crazy. (laughs) That's what made it interesting though, to me. Yeah. That he was, he seemed sort, sort of normal. But the more you listen to as him, as he went talk, in, he like he was talking about cults and like groups he was in. And I was like, yes. okay, These Andre, theater, this uh, theater. He was he's a theater. I guess he's the theater director, and and Wallace Shawn. By the way, did you recognize that other actor? The My Dinner with Andre. The My is Wallace Shawn, the actor. He who yeah, was in, Princess he was Bride. In, uh, Princess Bride. And I loved it because yes, I noticed yes, yes. towards the end of the movie, he's like. Your theories you're saying are inconceivable. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. He actually says the he word says inconceivable. inconceivable. And I was like, there, it's it, hilarious. there it is. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know if that was a, the Princess Bride was a nod to my dinner with Andre. Could have been. But, uh, yeah, that was funny. Yeah. And he's talking about his electric blanket. And then Andre's like, well, that's Andre's the like, what? Yeah, you like, can't have an electric blanket in this society. I'm like, shut up, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's this whole. That's why Siskel and Ebel, Siskel and Ebert loved it so much. Those two film critics from Chicago, because there's a lot of meaning to what they're saying. You know, they are characters sort of themselves, but uh, they were talking about a lot of different things. Like I, Andre, I, Andre was like hating on society and how everybody yeah. is basically a zombie, and then and then yeah. other dude yeah. was like, "Well, that's not even really true. What if I like yeah. my zombie life?" And he's like, "Well, then you're a fool." And I'm like, "What is going yeah. on right now?" <laughs> I, it was to me. It is. It was sort of a precursor to a two-hour podcast, you know, which I know you said two hours is a little long. That's what this one is right now. So we'll and I feel bad. I'm. So, I apologize to those who are listening. <laughs> if you yeah. made it this far, yeah. good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we can sign off. I think this was good. I mean, we we covered a lot. And, you know, there's a lot more to say, but um, yeah. So you um, want to just sign off? I, I don't know what you want to say to sign, sign this off. Is, this has been episode one, the official first episode where we actually talk about movies. Yeah. Like with a with a, like a list of things to check off. And I noticed we're both sort of really nice. So I always want to say it's with Chloe and Steve. And you always want to say with Steve and Chloe. <laughs> I do. Let's, well, I mean, I, you're I older. Like, I just feel like it should go. For, and you talk the no, most. I, I, you know, and Siskel and Ebert had that battle too. Because it was always... Siskel and Ebert, but Roger Ebert is, he's the only, still the only Pulitzer Prize winning, that's like the highest award you can win in, in the press, in, in, in newspapers. He's the only Pulitzer Prize winning critic, film critic that there's ever been. I mean, maybe there's been some. Pauline Kael never even won the Pulitzer Prize. So Ebert always said, it really should be Ebert and Siskel because I'm the better critic. <laughs> but Ebert, Ebert and Siskel doesn't flow off the tongue as easily as Siskel and Ebert, which is That's true. true. The way the S's and the K, Siskel and Ebert. Like, cause it's, so I think Chloe and Steve sounds, for some reason, better than Steve and Chloe. I don't know why that is, but let's just call it Chloe and Steve. We can, we can, we can battle that like Siskel and Ebert gave in simply because he just said, I'm the better critic, but Siskel and Ebert just sounds better. So we'll go with your name first, Gene. But anyway, that's, that's okay. Well, I like, I like Steve first just because of age and who knows more seniority. I think that your name goes first. But ladies first. They always say ladies first. Oh, threw that one at me, huh? Is that, is that, I don't know how a feminist theory would, would analyze ladies first, but anyways. I don't know. We'll we'll continue to battle that (laughs) for however long. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, all right. Thanks for, um, if you made it this far, that's really cool. If you didn't, okay. (laughs) All right. 
Until the next episode, which we'll right. do an- anime and Demon Slayer. Yeah, until the next one, uh, later. <laughs>